Today's podcast is sponsored by Jack Frost Big Boulder Ski Areas, where the snow comes first. 93.3 WMMR Audio On Demand presents the Preston and Steve Show podcast. Casey brought an interesting concept up. What? Uh, yeah, we, uh, yeah, you did, believe it or not. Uh, we played a clip from somebody on a, on a doctor, on a, a medical procedure show. And uh, Casey had floated out the question of, why don't they do a show about a doctor who's just barely good enough to be a doctor? <laughs> and it led me to think, do they do any shows where somebody is just barely good enough to be in their profession or not? You know, like a pretty crappy lawyer or a lousy cop or something like that. They have. Have they? They, they, they have, the where they just they're not good police. Or It, and depends, it might be a character. Depends on a character or how, how broad a, a comedy it is. Right. right. It's okay. seldom a drama where it's someone who's... You know, but and, and they'll have people who are bad at their jobs who are investigated and sussed out by the heroes on the show. Right. But it, it's seldom the hero. You know what? I'm not a very good detective. Right. You, you, yeah. Uh, but but that said, it did raise a point that you you jumped on, Preston. Yeah. I, I, I have a friend who's a surgeon who told me about uh, you know because I, I have all kinds of questions for people to do that type of thing for a living. You know. God bless them. Uh, it's amazing, and the amount of school that you have to go through, and the amount of. Uh, you know, as an intern, you have to work to, to learn how to do that stuff before you're trusted to be able to work on people yourselves, especially specialists. And uh, I was asking him some questions about the preparation for it. And he he essentially, the word was, you would be surprised on who they let operate on people. <laughs> and I was like, wow, okay. Yeah. That's kind of terrifying. And then he... Later on, he's like, look, I don't want to make you scared or anything like that. Essentially, some people are better than others. But it, but it led to the, the thought of... I, I work in this, this, so this is the statement. I work in this industry, and you would be surprised at what inept people they allow to do what I do. Right. I would love to hear about this, even though it might scare the living bejesus out of us. Well, I mean, we've often heard the term, you know, oh, he or she is book smart but not street smart and stuff like that. And And when it comes to, like, the medical industry... You can be really, really book smart, but like, suppose you're a surgeon that doesn't have good hand-eye coordination. Well, that's, and that was my question. I'm yeah. like, they teach you how to, you know, tie knots and and do you have to you have to be very dexterous as as well as incredibly intelligent mm-hmm. and know what to do at the right time. But you also have to have the physical capability to do these minute little things. So that's why you'll have people who consult, and you'll have people who are not, you know, they they, they they'll yeah. say someone's on maestro. So, uh, for example, like when I had my my uh, prostate surgery. Uh, Dr. Lee is like a maestro on the Da Vinci machine, which is this very precise thing that allows them to go in. I couldn't see somebody with the hands of like a like a like a John Madden, you yeah. know, go, you know, going in and doing that. You've got to have you got to have the chops. I got to point this out. He's a great guy and he's really talented at what he does. But our friend Mike over at Shaving Grace, do you remember when we oh. had uh, we? <laughs> Well, he was nervous. He was we had shaving his head. Come out and oh, shave right. his mustache, <laughs> and Mike gets up there with his straight razor, and his hand is shaking. Uh-huh. And it was just because he was nervous. He was nervous. nervous. There yeah. were cameras. There were lights. We were on the radio. We were live, and, and I'm we like, built it up. I'm like, dear God, don't cut him. We oh my God, he's dead. He <laughs> <laughs> should have gotten somebody else from Shaving Grace. Yeah. And he's, he, listen, he does a great business. He's a successful. He yeah. obviously knows what he does. But I just remember seeing that hand shaking, going, "Oh my God, what are we doing?" Wow. Uh, you know, not that. Uh, all right, I don't even have the, the, the pre-statement here, but I've, I've watched documentaries on, like, the drug trade and uh, these guys that are, like, making and mixing heroin down in Mexico, and now they're lacing it all with fentanyl. You got these guys that are just kind of, like, eyeballing it, you know what I mean? Like, uh, it's kind of like an important, you know, scientific 
thing going on there, and you know that's why people what you mean my illegal drug maker is not <laughs> yeah. doing things on the Isn't up and that up. Crazy, not by government standards. Not by government standards. Wait a second, don't, like... don't they have to be licensed before they become <laughs> cartel operators? Well, wouldn't you want them to be? You I know, think just I, a little bit. I think we're going for something a little more regulated. No, I know, yeah, but the uh... free ranging <laughs> drug trade. Uh, uh, let me go to some calls, and this could be. Listen, this is open to interpretation, by the way. So uh, I'm going to go to Elizabeth. Hi, Elizabeth. Good morning. Hi, good morning. How are you? Wonderful. Elizabeth, it says here you're a teacher. Oh, my gosh. There are so many teachers that I know that are not the brightest bulbs. <laughs> Meaning just not intelligent or they don't know how to talk to not students. They're intelligent. They're just goofy and off or odd or something along those lines, you know. They're not really with it 100%. Being, being a good teacher is a talent. It's not it just, is. It's not yeah, an intelligence. Yep, it's yep, being yep, able to make a connection. Right. I had so many teachers, specifically in middle school, that I just, they, they just didn't want to be there. They didn't care about kids. And I was just, you know. You you, no, I absolutely I, I teach, agree. I teach middle school, yeah. So it's. It's just some really goofy people that I don't know how they even got this far. And I mean, people that have their masters and doctorates, and it's really interesting. So, Elizabeth, like for for example, I, I so we watched the class. I you know at home before we watched Classroom and yeah. then, and then Jeopardy. And and this uh, maybe yeah. it's a product of uh, occasionally teachers being nervous, but you'll have respected schools on there, and the faculty. There'll be three contestants facing off against the students. Now, I freely admit, I'm a moron. But they're basic things I think a teacher should I, know. I know. Yeah. That, that I'm like, I'll look at I my agree. wife. They say, are you kidding me? Uh-huh. Yes. But you were, you were in that setting. You know. You, and that's you, why I say that, the whole, yes. The, the whole nerves that, and stuff I'm like not, that. And that's why. But I'm like, yeah. I mean, things that even I think would transcend even the nervousness. Yeah. I, I mean, listen, I had a lot of great teachers, but I did have one English teacher in particular who she misspelled things all the time on the blackboard. Oh, really? I mean, like simple <laughs> things. And I will never forget. So um, in the uh, Declaration of Independence, it's inalienable rights, right? Right. Yeah. She would say unalienable rights. <laughs> unalienable rights? Unalienable rights. That was my English teacher, guys. <laughs> Interesting. Your English teacher? That was my wow. English teacher. <laughs> wow. Uh, unalienable rights. Thank you, Elizabeth. Thank you. Have a nice right. day. Bye. We'll see you later. Listen, I, yeah, I also want to say there are teachers, some, they've been phenomenal. Absolutely. Yes. Here. So we'll, we'll, and that is uh, an unalienable fact. <laughs> we'll have that, that caveat that there are also yeah. wonderful people in these That's businesses. a caviar fact. <laughs> <That's> a caveat. <laughs> I bought a house two years ago, and uh, we went through some real estate agents who should have been in another line of work. And, and, and there are, and we ended up with one who was phenomenal and knew the market well and knew how to buy houses and sell houses and was so helpful. I'm so grateful to her. But there were some real estate agents i maybe they just backed their way into that job or something i, I don't know but it, it just seemed to me like this is not the line of when, work for you nick when, before we got the one where, who eventually got our house that's in mount air it's like dating you, right steve like you find you one. have to find the right one yeah. and then but i'm i'm tired of you you hook up the, the real estate person and it's always and then here is the uh kitchen right yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, they, they don't they've never been in the house you know they, yeah and, and it, it's almost like um you know, uh, uh, this is, uh, and this room has some lovely um, uh, 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 crown molding. Oh, I hate it. It's, it, you're right. It's, right. it can be changed. Yeah. Come on. And it's like, have hey, some backbone. Now, you see these windows. Now, you can look out of these windows, and then if you're outside, you can right. look through them back right, inside. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, I know how windows work. Oh, my work. God. These Would doors you... have handles. <laughs> Which you might find in a bacon, lettuce, and tomato right. sandwich, <laughs> to quote uh, Trading Places. Right? But realtors are, that job is what you make it. You know, yes. my brother, we talked about him earlier, uh, Jim, who, he's a real estate agent, and he 
is one of the most successful real estate agents that I know because that he made it his his job. It is his full time job. He doesn't just go out on you know to show houses every once in a while. He's passionate about he's it. He's passionate about it. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's go to some other uh, calls. I'm going to go to, let's go to Jared. Hi, Jared, good morning. Hey, guys, how are you? Good, what's up, man? So, so my wife is a doctor, and she worked with another one a couple of years ago who absolutely led to the death of multiple people because of incompetence. Oh, Jeez. my God. Oh. So was, was this found out by the law, or what, what happened in this case? So, you know, a lot of the medical school is not easy to get into, and a lot of these foreign medical schools... If you pay the money, they'll let you in. Yeah. And then some underserved areas, they'll hire anybody. And they'll bring in these people who are just absolutely frightening, like missing the most basic things, messing up medicines, the dosages, uh, missing obvious things on tests. And my wife told me at least twice. People probably would have lived at least for a while longer if it Ooh. wasn't for this person. So if you don't feel good about your doctor, you, you got to get rid of him. Yeah, yeah sure. Jerry. They, so that the, the long joke was that you know, they, like in South America, they take their their uh, their their medical boards with the, the game of operation. You yeah. know, but but there, Preston, when I was growing up, there was a doctor in town. Doctor Pospisil was his name. Pospisil. Pospisil. And uh, the final nail in his medical career was that he amputated a leg that in no way needed to be amputated. Oh and this this guy had a lot. And then once you heard that story, you heard the other stories right. of things he had done. And he was one of these old school, a doctor who smoked back then when that happened. <laughs> yeah. And it was just, oh, my God. Wow. Uh, I will go next to, let's go to Emily. Hi, Emily. Good morning. Good. We were talking about uh, the uh, profession. You wouldn't believe some of the people they let do it, uh, even though they're inept. Um, yeah. So I work in, the, in hairdressing. And so the thing with hairdressing is you go to cosmetology school, but the program is only 10 months. And then when you go to take your state board, there's not even like a practical portion to it anymore. So it's like just a written exam that you take. And then you can like go become a hairdresser. But you've yeah, been doing I, it for 10 months. So you, Wow. I would think, yeah. Emily, that they'd, they'd have you at least show some of your chops on one of those, like, dummy heads there. Like, uh, like the you know, the, the Barbies, the big mm-hmm. Barbie bus that you could, you know, it's to show. See, that. so to your point, Preston, that's a thing where you would assume there's, there is some sort of practical. Physical. To show that you have yeah. some capability. Emily, does, does that surprise you? It does. Like, there used to be a practical, but apparently within the past two years, they just removed it. I mean, wow. I, was, I was kind of happy about that because it made it easier for me to get my license, but... Um, so then basically after you get your license, you can either go like be an apprentice for a couple of years and then kind of get, you know, earn your chops that way. Or you can go work at like other salons, um, like hair cuttery and stuff like that. All right. Um, well, let, then, let me ask you, Emily. So, so while you're in this school for 10 months, are you cutting any hair at all? Um, yeah, but it, because it's 10 months, it's like you learn a haircut, you practice it twice, and then you move on to the next thing. And then, like, <sighs> then there was a couple months where we would take people in from the street, but, like, you know, I, I, I gave some messed up haircuts. <laughs> so, is, so Emily, is, is there a classroom of people with safety scissors in in, in the midair going click, 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 click? Like, I, I, I'm cutting it this way because, to me, you would have to see... 
Wouldn't you have to see how you well, could yeah, execute so, that cut? So, Emily, I think also what she was saying is that a lot of them will, will go into a salon and you don't, if it's like a, you know, a reputable salon, you're not going to get hired right away to cut hair. Right. You're going to go in and be oh. an apprentice. You're going to work under right. somebody for yeah. a pretty decent amount of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's the path that I'm on right now because I was like, I don't want to go and make my mistakes like on people and have <laughs> them be like really mad at me. I'd rather have, <laughs> I, I, I take time with my boss and then I do cuts on mannequin heads and then I bring in models. And All like, right. So yeah. All right. So, so I, I guess I can get that. If 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 these if the standard procedures, you go to a salon and then you sort of uh, intern and you right. you try your chops there under the tutelage of another person who's already practiced at it. I can get it. But still, that that throws that surprises me, Preston, that the actual licensing test doesn't yeah. require yeah. a practical. I think it used to be yeah. where they would bring yeah. in volunteers who would get a free cut yeah. and they would be judged while they were... I'd like a haircut, please! Yes, exactly. <laughs> Just don't touch his testicles. Right here, Mr. Larry. He's got three of them. <laughs> I got uh, a problem! Alright, thank you, Emily. I had three testicles! Wow. No, I didn't know that. Uh, let's go to... Let me go to Justin. Hi. Justin, good morning. Gadzooks, guys, what's up? Gadzooks, bud. So we're talking about uh, industries where you wouldn't believe they let people do this, even though they don't know what they're doing. Uh, well, here's one that'll scare you. It's because they're everywhere. Uh, truck drivers. Is that what you do? Yeah, I'm a truck driver. Okay. Are you talking about a semi or what kind of truck? Any kind of truck. Any I, kind of truck. I specifically, I drive a flatbed with a forklift on the back of it. Okay. But... That's a large enough vehicle, you know, many tons, and it, it can kill somebody easily. Sure. Oh, my God, what's, yeah. What's, what's crazy about it, uh, Justin, is that um, anybody can kind of drive a truck up into a certain weight. Is that correct? Yeah. When you have a Class B, you can only you can, uh, you can can drive stuff that's like 26,000 pounds or heavier, but it has to be a single body. After that, you need a Class A if you're going to have like a trailer or anything attached to it. So so a, a Class C is what, for motorcycles and stuff like that, or what? A Class C is just for regular cars. You need a Class M for a motorcycle. When, when I went, I one time I went to the motor vehicle, it was here, and they gave, and I remember getting the, the study material, and I'm like, God, there's a lot of stuff about trucks and and uh, and stuff like that and they were they were giving me the wrong stuff for a, for a uh, a truck license test it's it's an entirely set of different set of information correct it is. It's like you have to you have to know your weight classes and everything. Yeah, you have to know like, having hazmat and all. I that just want to drive my goddamn car. <laughs> okay, like that's, that's a problem. There is a lot of these rules. Of what happens is so many people go for that test and get pushed through, and they don't have what's like. It's not in the book, but you really need to have like good decision making and good judgment calls. Like if you're driving in traffic, you have to always be prepared to have an exit route so you don't rear end somebody or you can avoid danger that's up ahead. I'll tell you what, the, the guys we deal with, like the guys who, who um, you know, uh, come out and work the camp out for hunger yeah. uh, and do all the, that tr- the surgical nature which they park those trucks and move that stuff out. Yeah. And because those time- are the good ones. Yeah. Those are the good ones. The yeah. bad ones, like I'll give you a, a short story guy i used to work with he scared me every day i don't know how he had his uh class a cdl and i'm just like he's driving tractor trailers and i was i remember working with this guy he's sitting in my truck and i'm telling him because i i can tell something's not quite taking with him but i'm like look man we don't have proper gps's in this truck they will take you to low bridges you have to be careful and i kept telling him it he got into his uh his tractor trailer goes down towards the main line and wrecks the truck and I'm like, he goes under a bridge that's too short. Mm-hmm. And I told him, I said, and I looked at the bridge he hit, and I'm like, how did you hit that <laughs> on the on the on the on the stoplight before the bridge? 
there is a laser warning that lights up and flashes saying your truck is too high. Oh, it, it flat out can wow. detect oh, how yeah. big oh, your yeah. truck is and says, Stop. and he still hit yeah. it. Oh, Justin, my. is it right at two, is it at two fifty two and thirty by any chance? Um, I don't think that was it. It was a different one. I'm just like. Look, the lights weren't even the worst part. <laughs> they have barrels hanging down from a pole that'll scrape the top of your truck. Mm-hmm. He ran through those so hard they looped around. And <laughs> he was playing like tetherball. Yeah. So oh, he ignored funny. multiple signs, flashing lights, hanging barrels, and just straight up full sent it through the bridge. And like, oh my god! Wow. Yeah, that makes you that that worries you. Yeah, it does. Yeah, especially yeah. when you're driving around and stuff like that. Hey, Justin, I've a, a, a side question. You, you don't sound like it. Are you a big guy? Uh, I'm getting fat because I got married. Well, not <laughs> <laughs> almost all truck drivers I see are big dudes. I mean, like not no. just not not wide. I mean, just big guys. I see them all well, the time. They're usually big guy crawling out of that cab. I like to call myself <laughs> big sexy, but I'm just like I'm, I'm a normal I'm a normal guy. Big I gotta right. Say, I'm like, I drive me same. I ain't to Right. All right. Thanks, Justin. Appreciate no it, man. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that one's interesting. Uh, let's see. How about we have a lot of different ones to go to. Yeah. How about Ben on uh, line eight here? I'm going to go to Ben. You're on the air. Ben. Good morning, guys. How hey. are you all doing? Good, man. So you are a chemist. Yeah, so I, I'm actually a professor at one of the local universities. But before that, I was an industrial scientist. Okay. Uh, as a chemist, we work with things that you know can explode. They're <laughs> pyrophoric. They they burst into flames on exposure to air, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and one, of the, one day it was at the lab, and... This scientist uh, pulled me aside and said he's got this bottle of, uh, of a particular compound called butylithium. And he called the site safety officer and wanted to know what to do with it because they crack down the side. Uh, and it's the kind of thing that if you know, expose it to air, even a little bit, it'll burst the flames immediately. Jesus. Imagine a, a liter is, of a lot of material, right? <laughs> so you know this, by the way. The other, the other people don't know this, but you're well aware. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. And the, and the safety guy is this is a 5,000 person facility. He's supposed to be head of. You know, know all the stuff about safety. You told him to just, oh, go toss it in a bucket of water, right? And I, and I said, no, 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 wait a minute. And, uh, you know, because I had been the safety officer before this guy. And so I called the, the site fire marshal who works for the company. And, you know, 10 hours later, we've got the bomb squad out with those, those big wow. iron steel balls to take it out, clear it out the floor. And when, when they took it out in the parking lot at about 1 in the morning, it created a, a, a 20-foot fireball. Oh, my God. Jesus Christ. So he, he, he was telling you initially just to put it in a bucket of water. Yeah, well, fortunately, the guy who we were speaking to knew, knew better than that. It just got an inkling that didn't sound right. Uh, yeah, it would have. So in that in that lab, we had probably about 50 or 60 liters of solvent, so it, and plus other chemicals. So if, if you'd done that, it would have blown up, created a 20-foot fireball, and ignited everything else in the lab. Probably would have destroyed the building. Wow. To that, to that point, yeah. and it, uh, to uh, chemicals and being unaware, and this is totally... Uh, you know, it's it, this is low end compared to what you were doing, but there was a thing. And there's also an article, Preston, that just recently came out about combining cleaning fluids. And yes, one of my correct. one of my first jobs was, you know, cleaning, just mopping up. I was what they called the porter, and the woman who was one of the managers of the place said. Just we we make a mixture. We put the Ajax in the Clorox. Yeah, ammonia and bleach, bad idea. And, and I, I swear to God, I'd be mopping with this stuff. So I was young, but there'd be a lot of old people sitting in there at the counter with their with their coffee, and you start to see them start swaying. <laughs> I, I was basically yeah, like yeah. making mustard gas, right? You're, you're lucky. People people die doing that. You know, they'll do it in their home, in a, like in, in a bathroom or something like that, where it's a closed environment. And they end up dead. Yeah, so it's Ben, very dangerous. In in your industry, do you from time to time come across people that you can't believe that they are doing All that the they time. are chemists? Really? All the time. Yes. <sighs> you know, most most time we have 
we have so many layers of safety and precautions, you know, that, that you keep them, it keeps them from doing things that can really get in trouble. But, you know, there, there are things that happen even with the smartest of people. There was a, I remember a story a couple of years ago, probably about 10, 15 years ago, uh, uh, a first person in California was working with something called dimethylmercury. Uh, it's very dangerous because it's a, it's a very powerful alkylating agent. You can alkylate DNA very quickly. She spilled about a drop or so on her, on her, on her ungloved hand. Was dead six months later. Oh, so it, so you're saying it will it will it will absorb right? It will break apart your your actual flesh or what? Well, what it, is doesn't, it? it doesn't break it apart. It, it will go. So it goes. It goes right through the skin. Absorbs and, in your system and, and alkylates the. Uh, so it puts the methyl groups or, or carbon CH3s on 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 the DNA where it shouldn't be, and that screws oh. up all sorts of stuff. Oh my but god! There's, there's other things. I mean, we have we work with things. Something called dimethyl sulfoxide. Which on its own is not very dangerous, but it will go through directly through the skin on its own. Uh, and if it's got a chemical inside it, you know, so say any, anything, it carries it straight through the skin. So if you had, say, sodium cyanide in DMSO and you got a drop on your skin, well, guess what? You're dead from cyanide poisoning. Wow. That yeah. is, that, that, I would like to know everything. I'd like wow. to, I, I want the, the, the smartest people working with that stuff. Yeah, yeah that's well, alarming. Like said, there's, there's a lot of very, very uh, heavy precautions that we take. Yeah. So that the people in the industry, even the ones who perhaps shouldn't be there, are safe just because we're so careful about how we do things. Right. I, uh, I assume, yeah. Anybody, yeah. anybody who gets into our lab that doesn't do the right, the right safety precautions, uh, you, they get thrown out pretty damn quickly. Interesting. Uh, or they, or they blow themselves sure. up. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Ben. Well, that too. <laughs> Appreciate it, man. <laughs> have a good one. S- someday we'll have to do another conversation of uh, who has the most dangerous job that yeah. listens to the show because that sounds pretty wild. And also, there's another thing because I saw a text come up that said, uh, and whether it's true or not, I don't know. It said in Pennsylvania, uh, you pay if you uh, you pay sixty dollars and you can call yourself a contractor. Oh, what? Wow. And I, and that's another conversation. What can you just pay for? And <laughs> you know, like Steve's a uh, she's, he's a he's a yeah he's a minister. minister. Oh, but don't don't 50. diminish it. <laughs> it is what it, you it make took. It. It, I spent over four minutes. Yeah, filling out your my form and yeah. my credit card information. Yeah, that's another one. What can you pay this amount for? And all of a sudden, you've got this title. Maybe that's why there are all those contractors. Though they're constantly doing the stories about them. Just you know, take Scam it off. People. Well, they yeah, need the, the, yeah. that's the money an industry. And take it off. Kathy, you're exactly right. Where they they you need to vet the person who's doing work on your home. Yeah, when we first, uh, when I was living with my parents, the person who did our deck was my cousin, and yeah. he was he was just starting out, and the the whole deck was fine. The steps, on the other hand, yeah. um, he didn't like. Uh, I don't even know how to describe it. Didn't connect them. Well, so you know how <laughs> they like, were floating. So, well, kind of. Yeah. You know how like uh, the frame of the steps kind of it's you know like uh, they basically steps. look like steps, yeah. and then you place a board over top of them. Yeah. He didn't do it that way. He basically just had like two slabs of. Of wood that went down and then nailed the steps into each other. Oh, I know oh what you're talking God. about. Right, right. Um, and That's not going to hold over time. It did not. Yeah. I mean, it, but that was luckily for us because the deck was a little high off the ground. That was like the only, the, the rest of the deck held fine. But the steps, on the other hand, hey, was like, mm. 80% of it stayed perfectly <laughs> intact. <laughs> uh, let me go. We only have time for a couple more calls. I'm going to go to uh, Danette. Is that your name, Danette? Yes, that's my name. Hi, Danette. What you're a uh, you're an RN. You're a nurse. Yes, I am. That's oh. true. Okay, and... and I can tell you, uh, I can second the notion that there's a lot of terrible surgeons out there. So <laughs> always ask a nurse who to go to. Okay, and also there are terrible, 
terrible, have no business being nurses nurses out there. What if you ask one of them for advice on your yeah. surgery? You got to ask the surgeon. Go ask the surgeon. Yeah. No, no, obviously, you wouldn't do that. Well, well, let me ask you this because I'll tell you my personal experience. Every time I've been, you know, in, uh, having pr- procedures done or whatever, it's the nurse that always seems to have the beat on what's going on, and it's it's yeah. always they're the ones. Thank you now, so now we much. Have, we have a great doctor. We have Doctor uh, uh, Mike, who's fantastic. But the people that I've encountered, uh, um, you know, in, in the in the pen group. I have I, all very thorough, but I imagine with that many people, you're going to get some some bad or inexperienced or people just not good at their job. What's the worst dereliction of nursing duty you have ever seen? Oh, God, I that would require an entire show. <laughs> okay. um, it's that bad, is it? Yeah, it can be that bad. And, you know, it's just a lot of uh, younger, newer nurses graduate from school and they think it's this like glamour job. And then they end up, um, you know, and they get straight A's in school and they love to talk about that. And the Ivy League schools that they get their nursing degree from, but yet they have no common sense whatsoever and end up, you know, making very uh, dangerous and can be life-threatening nursing mistakes. So, you know, when you think about in terms of uh, it's really the nurse who's there with you most of the time or all of the time. Um, yes. And what they need to know and be capable of, there's a lot out there who are not. Huh. And it's, it, it's, it's scary. And what's even scarier about that is that um, a lot of people, they graduate from nursing school and decide that they can't handle, you know, hospital or or clinical or floor nursing. So they become and, truck drivers. <laughs> no, they become nurse practitioners. And now they're writing you prescriptions. Oh, jeez. And, and that's even scarier. Well, so my mom has had a very long career as a registered nurse, and she has a lot of different certifications. But if you put a needle in her hand, she's what is that? Get that away from me. She oh, I wonder do, where that comes from. She can't do, like, <laughs> an, an, an IV, any sort of inject. Like, she, she, we laugh at her. We're like, you, you did go to nursing school, right? But my mom has always worked in, in drug and alcohol. She's been a psychiatric nurse her entire time. And when okay. she went to nursing school in the emergency room, she was like, I don't know if I can do this. Like, I can't do this part. It's awful. The, the part uh, now, now the ineptitude of, of some would be would definitely be scary. And, and listen, I understand in almost any industry, if you're in it for a while, you can become desensitized uh, yeah. to certain things. And the ones that, that kind of bother me a little bit when it comes to uh, uh, medical workers is when you have what you perceive as something is very important or very, uh, you know, scary and are kind of brushed off because they see this type of thing every day. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. it, it's happened on rare occasions to me, and I just like I'm like oh, I, I had hurts. once I had one situation. It was just a one one guy. It wasn't a nurse, but it's a, a guy. At, uh, I was getting a barium swallow, you know, and I was getting the test. And this guy was just totally like you know like uh, stand aside, stand to the left, to the left, and, and he's barking at commands. And, and I went. Whoa, whoa, whoa. This is new for me, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So calm down, yeah. Dr. Feelgood. Let's <laughs> relax here. And, 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 and I mean, you could see him, and even the nurse was almost looking at me like, finally someone's saying stuff to this jerk off. And then later on, I was asking other people, and everyone would go, oh, yeah. Yeah. That was the one guy. Otherwise, the nurses and all, you know, 
you because again, you're Preston. You're right. You don't know what you have, yeah. and you're relying on their uh, a their kindness and b their expertise. Yep. Do we have time to go to thanks, to Glenn, the anesthesiologist? Because I'd love to hear about awful habits. Uh, it's going to be a quick one. Okay. So let me go to him real quick. Hi, uh, <laughs> Glenn. You're on the air. Good morning. Hey guys, I think me and Danette know a lot of the same people. <laughs> <laughs> so you're an anesthesiologist or an anesthetist? Which is it? No, I'm an anesthesiologist. I work. With so you believe in God? <laughs> that's, oh, no, that's an atheist. Well, I'm sorry. Or an atheist. No, I do. Uh, I do. No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. With, I've worked with all types. I've worked with great surgeons. Most of them are great. Seriously, most surgeons are great. But then they're the ones who just do whatever they want and figure they'll just kind of wing it. So when they get in there, they just look at the rep, and they go, the rep's the guy who comes, comes and brings the equipment. Yep. And, and they go, so uh, what do I do next? <sighs> and the rep goes, well, do it. You know, you have to turn, no doctor, turn it left, not right. I'm just standing there like, what the <laughs> F is going on? Right, and, right. Like you didn't do your homework before you came in here. <laughs> And I'm just trying to give anesthesia and keep this person alive because the doctor's doing his best part doing the opposite. And, you know, that's when I had one guy who was shaking. He must have been 85 years old. He was shaking so hard, I was ready just to come in and take over for him. I mean, I don't know if he didn't take his pills that morning or not. That was horrible. I, I'll, I'll tell you um, what, from my from a patient's point, you know, like when you people like, and I've had, the, you know, I've been put under for, for a couple of different things. You guys are, are very important. I've always had a good experience where you're made to feel comfortable that you're being put under. You're, you know, you're, you're, and you don't know what yeah. to what to anticipate. And and every time it's it's been wow that these people have been really nice and really cool. I think that's a key part as well. Just besides the expertise, the inability yeah. to relate to the patient, I'm sure, is a critical failure for a lot of these people. Oh yeah, a lot of well, a lot of anesthesiologists understand that after the years they develop this certain camaraderie with the patients to try to help them relax that's kind of what we do and again you don't learn that in school you just go well this woman's not calming down no matter what i do so come on distract her and tell a few jokes and after a while hey that kind of works so then you develop this whole routine yeah and it turned into this comedy show it's kind of kind of <laughs> circle some people just don't laugh at all though well you, yeah. you sound good at it yeah yeah there wasn't I, I, i've had yeah. No, sorry, Glenn. I was just going to ask you because there was an anesthesiologist, and I forget the exact story, so I'm not going to give the details that I think they are. But basically, it w- uh, he was at fault for uh, a few children that had died during <laughs> surgery uh, and, yeah. and was fired from his job. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but I mean, there's got to be some anesthesiologists that don't quite have it together either. Well, I know I know a lot of anesthesiologists, not including me, but that won't even go near children. I mean, I know. I, I know I have a colleague right now. She's like, I want to take this new job, but I don't want to go near children because I can't have that on my mind if right. something were yeah. to happen. It, so it, that's why you have, you know, pediatric anesthesiologists that train an extra three gazillion years. Okay. Yeah, it's a, it's a very precise thing. It, it's, it's a critical step, uh, you um, know. But they, honestly, if you want to... Get that off your mind and not worry as much. Say you're administering administering the anesthesia and really don't. And yeah, there you go. Sure. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All yeah, right. Be, uh... <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks, Have a good one. Appreciate it. Wow, it's interesting. There's little... been stories like that, Preston, where people were not given anything and were yeah. fully awake for procedures. Yeah. Loads of calls that we're not going to be able to get to, obviously, of uh, people who have seen, you know... <gasps> For the scary things. Of, yeah. Uh, this individual should not be doing this, yet they are continued to allow to do it. So, 
Uh, thanks for your calls. We appreciate that. I just want to remind you, we are professionals here at the Preston and Steve Show. <laughs> we are surgeons. <laughs> yeah, we are. We paid the 50 bucks. <laughs> we did? Yeah, we got the policy. You don't even need an FCC license anymore, oh, man. Right. You used to. You guys don't have them. Oh, I, thank God I there's do. no such thing in our industry as malpractice yeah, because seriously? we would be sued out the yin yang. Stutter through yeah. live reads. Not only can you hear Preston and Steve, you can see them too. Check out the Weekly Rush on Xfinity On Demand. New episodes, you guessed it, weekly. Hi, I'm Steven Singer. Yep, that's me, the I Hate Steven Singer guy. People ask me all the time, what does this mean, I Hate Steven Singer? Well, maybe this is the reason. At my store, we don't play pricing games. We wouldn't treat our friends like that. We only have one price. One place, one price. Come to my store and feel the difference. You'll have fun buying a diamond for somebody you love. Steven Singer Jewelers. One place, one price. 888-I-HATE-STEVEN-SINGER. Online, IHateStevenSinger.com. And our flagship store at the other corner of 8th and Walnut in Philly. Back with more of the Preston and Steve Show podcast. Our next guest is going to be performing at Ardmore Music Hall tonight. I'm playing a little bit of uh, music from his new album, which is titled Behold Electric Guitar, which I absolutely love. Uh, And I'm going to let this play out just a little bit. Try to hit this intro just right at the right time. He's one of the co-creators of the band Mr. Big. He's one of the biggest, most badass guitarists in the world, in my humble opinion. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the program, Mr. Paul Gilbert. How you doing, Paul? I'm doing good. I'm ready with my thoughtful answers. You're waiting for your thoughtful answers? I'm, I'm ready oh, you to, are to give ready. thoughtful answers. After the, after the Jack White review, I've got to do my best. We 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 have every confidence that you'll be uh, thoughtful. Uh, I, I, talking to you before the before this uh, this conversation right now, you presented yourself in a thoughtful manner. So we thank you for that. <laughs> uh, listen, I've been a fan uh, for quite a while. I'm excited to, to have you in and, and finally meet you in person. Uh, <clears throat> I want to explain to some people who may not know the name Paul Gilbert. There, you have a lot of fans. Uh, most guitarists would know who you are. Everybody who knows me knows me. Yeah, exactly. Right. One hundred percent. But I've only had one. I was only famous for two weeks in 1992. So that's, that's... <laughs> not so. Not so. Uh, when I mentioned, I mentioned to my brother, who's a uh, you know was a, was in a uh, a band for a long time, a big uh, guitar. Fan, and the second I mentioned your name, he's like, "Oh, really?" So there's there's a big level of excitement, and and especially with the the show at the Ardmore, people are very excited. Yeah, I, I, we played the Ardmore last year, and it was fantastic. So I'm really happy to come back. We, of we, course, go ahead. And and last year we we just barely put together my electric guitar version of the Rocky theme. <laughs> I was here, but here. since then we put we got the whole, like the whole thing and and all the bells and whistles. So it's, really, it's really sounding good now. Yeah, wow. we're hearing a little tease of it as you were warming up. So yeah. that's very cool. Well, I I, I I love playing it. I played it every city, but so uh, especially you, here it, 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 it makes more well. sense. It <laughs> makes sense here. So Paul, when I when I do meet people and and we're talking music and and I'll say <clears throat> one of my favorite guitars, you know, is this guy Paul Gilbert. If they're a guitarist, they'll know exactly who I'm talking about. Some people don't, and I have to explain. Okay, so, you know, he was in this band, Mr. Big. Before that, there was this band called Racer X. You may or may not know. Metal, real intense, shredding, crazy, really technical, awesome music. But then I try to explain your solo career as well. Good luck. And that's, so it's hard to quantify it, you know? I mean, because 
there's elements of 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 blues and jazz and metal and all this stuff. How? What's a good way to describe your music? Well, it's it's still evolving, and the discovery I made was that I really always wanted to be not a guitar player but a lead singer. Because when I was a kid, those were the records I had. I, my parents had the Beatles records and Stones and and bands that had lead vocalists, and I, I liked Led Zeppelin because. Robert Plant had a great voice. Now, I didn't have a particularly great voice, and that didn't stop me from trying. Right. But it also didn't stop me from kind of, you know, not, not doing as well as I would have liked to as a lead singer. So um, the discovery that I made on this new album, Behold Electric Guitar, is that I can actually play the vocal line on the guitar. So, you know, take a, like a really challenging vocal, like, uh, you know, the which, you know, with my little falsetto, it's not so good. Right. <laughs> but, you know, you play it on guitar. Suddenly, you know, those notes are there. And yep. it's just, you know, it's my responsibility to get them right, but at least I can hit them. You know? Well, I was mentioning to you the song Let That Battery Die, which is on the new album, and that is exactly what I thought. I'm like, it sounds like someone singing. Yeah, well, that's, uh, how, that's and, how I wrote the tunes, was that I would have a lyric, and, you know, that, the initial lyrics for that were like, what was it? Um... Again, I'm squeaking it out. Yeah. But on the, with the guitar, you know, I can get a lot of control and a nice tone. And so for the first time in my life, I'm actually able to connect my inner melodic generator okay. with an instrument that functions. <laughs> <laughs> what, is, what is that called, though, when the, when the guitar line mimics the, the lyric? Because uh, Trey oh, does like, that all the time. Like George Benson well, or something. Something would be scatting, which yeah. is jazz when you play... Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's more improvisation, which I do too. Uh, there's a lot of improvisation in the show, but I, I, I try to base it. It's nice to have melodies. Right. I'm a big fan of melodies and, and regular songs. And rather than you know, most guitar players who do the whittly whittly stuff that I do, you know, will go off the deep end with the whittly whittly and have you know <laughs> really complicated, impossible to listen to progressive tunes. Yeah. And I'm still a fan of the the Beatles and Led Zeppelin and Aerosmith and and you know the regular rock bands. What? And so now I can step on stage and and really be the lead singer via my guitar. Okay. But to that point, and I and I've seen like I, I I've recounted many times on this uh, show uh, going with my brother years ago to seeing Bay Malmsteen and so. Then, technically, very amazing, um, um, you know. But but there, again, at a certain point, that whittly whittly can become solace, and and uh, and and you're not that way. You you know you you're there's there's a panacea of 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 stuff that happens when you're playing, and and um, you know that it's uh, again talking to my brother about you and your appearance, saying that you you know. Uh, the the thought might have been to lump you in with a lot of these people, but you're not. And, and so, um, you know, uh, would you consider yourself how how important is jazz and 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 that aspect of music in in what you play? Well, well, jazz like and you put any label on it, it's a big label. It's yeah, it is a big label. Yeah, yeah. A lot of things, but to, to me, um, I got into jazz trying to be a better blues guitar player. Right. When, from playing blues, you know, a lot of the guitar players play the same licks. They're good licks. Right, yeah. You know, but if you're a guitar player playing blues, you know, you sort of do the same things. And so I started going back to the, the, the 50s jazz horn players. You know, Duke Ellington, Johnny Hodges was a sax player in his band, and they'd have these really 
you know, beautiful straight-ahead blues things. It wasn't like weird avant-garde jazz. Real straight-ahead and melodic, but different than the way a guitar player would typically phrase. And so that, that's, that's the jazz I got into, was really just people who were, played different instruments playing blues, and I could steal their licks and get different stuff. All right, so um, to play the guitar the way you play the guitar, there, there's, ha- there's got to be a lot of things that work in your favor. Dexterity is one of those things, right? Um, but uh, Preston has shown me a lot of videos of you playing. And when you play, I, I get blown away. And I, and I wonder, like, what are you thinking as you're playing these notes? Like, are you thinking, you know, or is it just a feeling that comes over time with a lot of practice? Well, that's a good question. I asked myself the same question. I realized a lot of the faster stuff is the the musical equivalent of going, um, and, um, um, you know, just like not knowing what to say. And I fill it in with going, and, and, and when I actually have meaning to what I want to say, that's when it gets more melodic. And I actually, you know, am hearing what I'm, what I'm playing. Do you ever make yourself cry with, uh, with a, a piece of music that you've played? Because yeah. it, it can be very emotional. I, I, I did, and it, it, it was wonderful. And, and so I'm not going to ask you what you were thinking as you were playing it, but... <sighs> All right. Well, well, so, it was just the, the music was right. Okay. Right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, we have a couple of things in common, uh, you and I, Paul. Number one, I have tinnitus, uh, so I have, I have hearing issues. I have, I have hearing loss, uh, and uh, I'm a musician as well. I play drums. I gave it up because of uh, the hearing issues. It was yeah. doing too much damage. But I've recently uh, found it again because I now play an electronic drum kit and I can put headphones on and I have volume control, which is wonderful. And I've seen you videos, many videos of you playing with with headphones on. Um, Do you still do that, uh, first of all? Does that help you out? Uh, no, no, I just wear earplugs. And now you just wear earplugs, just, like in-ear monitors, or no? They're just earplugs. Just, just regular earplugs. No I kidding. Just, I just try to block out the the loud stuff, and and you know it's still loud. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's just not as loud to me. Okay. And, and because of, you know earplugs definitely block out a lot of sound, so I have to know what I'm doing a little more, which is actually a really good assignment to to give yourself. You know, before I would sort of listen as I played and, and make adjustments, and now I kind of have to know from inside. I have to be able to predict where the right notes are. So, you know, I don't have a perfect pitch. So I have to, you know, find my key first. But once that's planted, you know, I can I can hit other notes bef- with, and know what they are in advance. You know, if I want to hit... You know, I, I know where that is. Okay. With, with, with that, like... So I can, I can find those before I hit them, rather than hit them and then and then adjust from there. Okay, would All that right. be like the equivalent of like for I do a lot of uh, audio editing and I can edit without actually hearing it. I'm looking at the waveform and I can sort of see. So you're sort of you're in, in a way you just feel it as more than. Well, this is this might be more of a dramatic metaphor, but yeah. but I, I think of it more like a blind person knowing their way around their room because they've memorized where the couch is. Okay, and I have that's I, wild. I, I memorize where the notes are because I, I know in my brain what they sound. And of course, I hear them a little bit. Yeah, I'm yeah, not, yeah. I'm not totally deaf. Um, but uh, if anything, my hearing loss is just like the treble way, way down. Oh, okay. So you know, I can still tell that red is red. Is I just can't tell if it's you know. What texture it is. Right. Magenta. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And then the other thing we have in common is we have collaborated with some of the same artists before. Uh, <laughs> yes. I've had uh, I've had a drum off with Mike Portnoy in this very studio. Yeah. And uh, I'm an honorary member of Steel Panther as well. <laughs> uh, Satch- Satchel gave me a name. My name is Tommy Tom Tom Thompson. <laughs> That's when, a good name. When I play with the band. But you go back with those guys with Steel Panther, right? Well, well uh, Satchel, I guess he is his official name. Right. 
um, we used to we had a cover band because he, he used to watch my house when I went on tour with Mr. Big, and uh, I'd I'd get back and I'd have like a week off and we'd go hey let's learn some tunes and we'd we'd, we'd just we'd challenge ourselves we'd learn like twenty songs in a, in a week and go play them somewhere yeah and uh, he, he used to borrow my, you know, I had my home studio and he'd always make demos that sounded better than mine <laughs> really <laughs> and and you and Portnoy have done a few projects together Yellow Matter Custard the bit the Beatles tribute band oh that was a blast yeah it had that to have been well Mike besides being a good drummer is a really good organizer so he would he would put together. Uh, the, the Beatles one. He put together a Led Zeppelin one. Uh, we did a one for the Who and one for Rush. Yeah. And surprisingly I, I, enough, you know, Rush, of course, considered to be a, a, a you know a hard to play prog band. That was the easiest one for me to do, just because I had played that stuff as a teenager. Yeah, yeah. And the Who was the roughest one because you know, all Pete Townsend's chords were, were much higher. They were just sort of different than I was used to. They no the, kidding. They weren't the big chunky power chords. They're more high up. Plays rhythm on, on the high part, which, yeah. which sounds great. You know, yeah, that's but, cool. But I, I really had to learn, you know, study to get the Pete Townsend stuff right. Nice. I had uh, I had recently kind of rediscovered you a couple of years ago, uh, thanks to YouTube. I was um, <clears throat> I forgot I'd been searching around guitar players or something like that, and a video of you came up, and it said, um, I think it said Paul Gilbert Gilbert handles hecklers. And it was you on stage, I think, in New York, and some people are talking like that, and, and you said something along the lines, you know what, I'm louder than you. <laughs> you just hit a, like an E chord or something like that and shut him up really quick. That's yeah, the power of the electric the guitar. The power of the electric guitar. <laughs> and then it started leading me down a path of, of, of watching other videos of you perform, and I even found some videos of you when you were like a teenager. Uh, because for those who don't know Paul, Paul was a bit of a... Um, uh, a phenom as a, as a kid, like 15, yeah. 16 years old, you started making waves in the world of heavy metal. You know, there were uh, rumors of you maybe playing an Ozzy's band and so on and so forth. And nowadays, with this video medium, we see all kinds of people that are these virtuosos, these kids that can play like nobody's business. Uh, and it's interesting, with, with all of these people who have this ability out there right now, um, that we don't really have the guitar heroes like we used to, if you know what I mean. I have no idea what you mean. You have no idea what I mean. <laughs> you, know, you know exactly what I mean. Eddie Van Halen. In the height of Van Halen, it was like God yeah. status. Well, well, Eddie Van Halen had David Lee Roth. Yeah. And he had Alex. To me, like, those two are, are twins. You, know, you, you have to have Alex to have Eddie. They're, they sound so good together. But um, I, I also do a lot of guitar teaching. I have an online guitar school, and, and I've, I've given over 7,000 video lessons on that, on that school so far. And so I get to watch a lot of young players, and there are are physical trends. Now I have to be careful because I have I'm a tall person with big hands. Yes. So I can reach things that not everybody can reach. Um, but the, the thing that that I've sort of become passionate about it again. This might be sort of arcane guitar stuff, but I am a thumb overer. Yeah. <laughs> like, if you look at any picture, you know, Google Jimi Hendrix or, yeah. or Richie Blackmore or, you know, anybody kind of pre-1985, and they're going to have their thumb hanging way over the guitar because it, 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 it makes you strong when you bend a string. <laughs> you can sit there and, and bend a string all day. Now, a lot of the modern players are thumb behinders, which, okay. which to me is like, ah! You know, <laughs> and, 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 you know, they have more of a classical technique. You, you never hear a classical person bending a string. You know, they may have make, you know, play some beautiful Bach, right. but they're not going to wail away. <laughs> What's that bad company song? Rock steady. That's just not going to happen from Segovia. Yeah. As great as <laughs> so, and then that's what I grew up 
prim- primarily, you know, my era that I that I really feel that I'm attached to is you know late '60s when Hendrix came out, and you know Led Zeppelin was born and Black Sabbath, and then you know into the into the '70s with with Richie Blackmore and Angus Young, and Gary Moore, and of course Van Halen was came out in in the, in the late '70s. Yeah. So um, that that language of guitar. Um, you know, I can't escape it. That's just it's that's the, it's the language. That's what I what I speak. And even though I you know learn how to speed things up here and there, uh, hmm. I, still to me the the voice that I speak with is it was born in the seventies and is and, and is best played with a thumb hanging way over the neck. It seems like, and, and I've seen videos of you, and we're, and we're going to get Paul to play here in a moment. Um, that you, you've really embraced, uh, gone back to to falling in love with with the blues and playing expressively and so on. Do you uh, and and but but shredding is is kind of what you've been labeled as as well. I mean your ability, your your technical ability is amazing. Does that bother you at all that that uh, people see you as a guy who could just rip oh, up through what the, a pro- the problems I have? <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> it's a. Uh... You know, it is what it is. I mean, I, I get up every day and I play my guitar, and, and you know, it's uh, the, the, the YouTube thing you mentioned is is amazing. Uh, you know, I grew up with albums, so I, I never expected to, to communicate with the world that way. And I do have to mention one of you. You know, if you're in YouTube, there's there's one where I was doing a clinic, and I had this little loop pedal, and I decided to put like the most scary, frightening shred lick that I could ever do inside the loop pedal. So I just pressed the button, and it goes. Yeah. And I would I would pretend to play with my teeth, <laughs> and, and then I, I would and then I would press that button, and and every the whole audience was like, oh my god! <laughs> and, and, and so of course it, it he's was, playing with his teeth. Yeah, he was playing you know, sweet picking with his teeth. How did you do that? And it, it was a guitar clinic, so you know, everybody raised their hands and goes like, how did you how did you do that with your teeth? And I said, well, you know, it's pretty impressive to do sweet picking with your teeth, but I said it's really impressive to do it. With your ass. Oh, yes. <laughs> and then I, you know, I just wipe the guitar. You know, That's on great. My, on my backside. That's awesome. And uh, and there's, you know, it's on, you know, so if you, you know, Google my name and, and sweep and, you know, yeah. the beat, you know, the, right. the ass, if you can say that on the radio. I ask, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we're yes. definitely going to check that out. I love it. Uh, well, are you, are you going to play a song for us? What would you like to do? I don't or... know. Well, do you have any requests? Uh, what, from the new album? No, well, I, and, and from anything. From anything. Come on, you you got the the, I, the world is your oyster right now. Um the theme to what's happening. No. Since I'm in Philadelphia, I'm a huge fan of Todd Rundgren. So I gotta play like the, the, the my, like the Todd Rundgren, my, my favorite riff, which is that uh But you know what with chords you have to be in tune. That's the problem. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you may want to do that. Yeah. And uh yeah, there, well, of course, there's the Rocky theme. There's, um, there, I, I saw Todd Rundgren play with Daryl Hall on, on YouTube. And they, that was a they, great. I've seen them play together a couple of times. They're they, great. They did that. Uh, wouldn't or was it? Uh, didn't I blow your mind this time? From the this is stylistics. They they knew how to dress. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Paul's in a full suit this morning. Yeah, looking yeah. quite dapper. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I, I, I figure if, if, if at least the suit's awake. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's see. Then let me. Um, let me just get some sound and figure out, get my sure, bearings. Yeah, go let, ahead. Let, let, let it rip. Well, you know what I got to show you is my slide magnet. Okay. Oh, okay. I, I saw that. I saw it. <laughs> I've got, I, I put a really strong magnet inside my, the lower horn of my guitar so a steel slide will, will stick wow. there. Wow. And it, it makes a very satisfying kerthwonk when you put it back. <laughs> but I can grab it really. And in, actually, you know what led to all this was... Um, 
there was uh, the, the Janis Joplin tune, Mercedes Benz. Yeah. And which is only her just stomping her foot, you know, it's like, oh, Lord, watch by me and yep. Mercedes Benz. And I, I thought, if I can do that on guitar, you know, then, then I've kind of accomplished something in terms of like trying to get a vocal line because there's no hiding behind the band. I just got to do. So, you know, that's really different from the typical, you know... Sounds like a piranha attack. Uh, uh, Can you give us a little of the Rocky you were playing before? The Rocky theme? Oh, yeah. Yeah. something uh there is a there's a video of you uh, playing along in the studio to technical difficulties which is a um racer x song ah. amazing piece of instrumental music and, and at the end of it you do this run that just blows me away i, th- I think it's it, it's like classic whittly whittly yeah it is total whittly whittly <laughs> It's amazing. It's amazing. By the way, have you ever measured how long your pinky is on your left hand? I have not, but well, this, I'm actually I'm cheating today because this guitar has a shorter neck than than most the standard guitar. Oh, really? So, Cheater. You know, I can actually reach from like the, the 12th fret God, beyond the hell. end. You know. But again, to, to me, the, the the horizontal stretch is less important than the vertical. Being able to get the thumb over. Okay. And that's you know that, that again, the, having a, little, a smaller guitar is is, is helpful for that. That, yeah. that dumb thing makes sense because they were showing the uh, original director's cut of Woodstock the other uh, night, yeah. and and I'm looking at Hendrix, and I, the only way to describe it is it's, it's a sexy style of playing, but he's he's you know he's basically giving a handy to the guitar, you know, <laughs> and and it's it's but the, the thumb is constantly you know out there, and I, I now that you mentioned it, I, like yeah, that's that was his style. He was. He was strangling the, uh, the 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 guitar. Well, uh, for some reason, the metaphor I always think of is is having to lift large pieces of furniture. Like if you have to push a refrigerator, you've got to line up your body in such a way where you you can give it, you can push it. Yeah. You get your feet against something that's solid, and the same thing when you're pushing a string, you have to kind of get yourself in a position where you can get some power behind it. Is it hard when you talk about teaching and doing the online course and stuff like that? Have you ever taught somebody one-on-one? And if, is it difficult if you have to have your ability and to have to ratchet down to take a beginner 
Well, I, I, I love teaching beginners because there's still hope. Yeah. You know, <laughs> <laughs> if, if you teach somebody who's been playing a long time, chances they're set in their ways. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, it might be really hard to untangle something. Uh, you know, not if they're willing to do it. But right. With, with, with beginners, it's, you know, it's a, more of a blank slate. You can really get people, you know, moving pretty quickly. Right. Uh, with these, uh, with with the progressive songs uh, that that you put together, the really complex ones, uh, uh, you know, the, the one that comes to mind uh, is a song called "Hurry Up," which is on uh, oh, "Get Out of My Yard," and uh, it is. I, I'm a drummer. I can't figure that thing out. I can't figure out the time signature, where it is, any of that stuff. Do you still remember, or do you have to go back and remind yourself of how some of these really complex pieces of music are put together? Uh, I, I forget a fair amount of it. That, that one has enough of a melody that would it would piece it together but that was a funny tune because you know the song's called hurry up and it was inspired by rush yeah and i r- totally got a rush vibe from yeah, that yeah rush means hurry up that's my pun <laughs> <laughs> and i missed it but i but i just i always like their song circumstances though yep. and so i just sort of you know came up with took that general structure and put my own notes in Same kind of it's a variation on a theme. Okay, the classical guys used to do that. Speaking of uh, of titles of songs, um, you're, you're great with coming up with them, and yeah, nice and I don't know how you come up with them. Uh, so I'm gonna, I'm going to rattle off a few titles yeah, uh, from the new album, which is Behold Electric Guitar. There's I Own a Building, is one of them. Uh, Let that battery die, which I mentioned a little while ago, and probably my favorite title is "Sir, you need to calm down." <laughs> uh, are these? Or do you just throw a name on something, or is there, or is there a reason behind well, them? They're all stories. Okay. Because you know, uh, we had one time we had a group called the Wooten Brothers in here, right? And they had a they had a, a song called "Sex in a Pan." I'm like, all right, what's that all about? They were like, well. When we were writing it, we had uh, we had breakfast one morning at this place, and the dish was called Sex in a Pan. We're like, well, we'll, we'll name it that. There you go. Yeah. There you go. But but you usually have a story behind. Uh... Yeah, I don't I don't know if the stories are interesting. So, but the, <laughs> the, with, with I own a building that was um, we were doing a uh, video shoot with Mr. Big, and you know what do you do when you do a video shoot? You get a warehouse. And you set up your gear, and that you know, look cool because you're in a warehouse. So the the owner of the building was there, and he loved his building. He was he kept like stopping us and going, "You've got to stop. Come up and see the attic." <laughs> you know, and, and so I, I got home, and I, and and I just I, I I couldn't I couldn't forget this guy. I was like, I've never seen somebody so in love with with his something building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love my guitar, but he loved his building. And so, and so you know, all the, the the melodies on the record came from lyrics, and that one was like. I, a building and it feels so good to own a building <laughs> got my name on every brick and extension of my and that's right <laughs> <laughs> yes well there is a little bit of spoken word on this with a song called a herd of turtles oh yeah the herd, the herd of turtles was, was a whole poem and that and I didn't really know what to do with it. Okay, I, I don't. I don't write poems a lot. Yeah, and uh, I, I ended up reading it as Ringo Starr. You know, <laughs> I, 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 it just seemed to flow better. I noticed that when I read it as Ringo. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> but it, that was that was one of those things. It's because it, I, I just read the poem and then and that goes into this raging funk. <laughs> Got this cooking, you know, funk thing, and then yeah. it just bonks, you know stops on a dime. Yeah, and I, I read a verse about you know the rabbits that are being eaten and don't want to be. <laughs> yeah, so it, it's 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 kind of uh, 
you know, what do you, stream of consciousness. But uh, okay, but I think it, it you know emotionally has something there. A couple more titles, real quick. A snake just bit my toe. Mm-hmm. Did that actually happen? That didn't happen. But that was I, I was doing as you do. You have to do photos for the for the album cover. And when I do photos, I can't help myself. I always end up doing these rock faces because you, know, you bend this, when, whenever you bend the string with your thumb over the neck, you know it makes you do a rock face. Yeah. And so I was looking at photos, trying to figure out which one should go on the cover. And there was one where I was doing the typical rock face, and I thought, well, what would be the the caption that would go with this? And I thought, it looks like a snake just bit my toe. <laughs> Boom. And, and, and then I thought that's good, you know, because typically blues can be like, you know, my my. Something horrible happened, and I got the blues because of it. And I thought the snake just bit my toe. Could be that, you know. So. Okay. The snake just bit my toe. And it just fit right in. Right, wow, well, it's it, you're sort of deconstructing a lot of these. Uh, these, I know. yeah. <laughs> and then one last one, and I'm curious if this is a nod to Queen. I love my lawnmower. Well, I. I I have a really small lawn. When I grew up, I, I, had, a, I had like an acre yeah. to mow, and it was a, it was a big job. In the summertime, you get all hot, and I didn't have, I had to push mower for a long time. And so my my new lawn is like a postage stamp. And I and I went to Home Depot and I got a um, you know a battery powered lawnmower that's rechargeable. Yeah, and it's like yeah, and it's done. <laughs> and I got just, just enough where I get the smell of grass to remind yeah. me of when I was a kid. Right. But, but I don't have to spend an hour on it. Yeah. And I, I just love it. It's the best lawnmower. <laughs> so it's about loving your lawnmower. Yeah. And yeah. So, and so the, um, I'm trying to remember what the key is. It's like, well, I love my lawnmower because it's a great lawnmower. Loving all my accessories, too. So then I replaced it with a guitar, and, you know, it, yeah. it sounds better because I'm okay. a better guitar player than I'm a singer. Oh, that's great. Um, well, listen, we're, we're going to have to wrap up. Can we get just a little bit more of, of one more song or... Um, a song, or what, song. What song? What's the song that you really love? It's a, it's a sort of a simple one you said. It's sort of a low-key... Or you, you were, well, I was telling them that uh, "Let That Battery Die" yeah. is, is, is well, a well, beautiful to, song. To really properly do this, I need my band. But I, you should, need I, sh- yeah. I should explain, sir. You need to calm down. Yeah, okay, okay, please, please do. Do. Play, play a bit of that if you. Yeah, can. that's well. That one is that. I, well, first of all, I, I took the idea of Batman, and I just took you know that that kind of rhythm, and then added a little my own riff to it. So. Batman, but just to let you know yeah. how the story, how, yeah. where the story came from. And then uh, I had this melody. It was an old melody that nobody's ever heard because it was only big in Japan. But I had a song called I'm Not Afraid of the Police. And the bridge went like... I'm not afraid of you. I'm not afraid of broken glass. Anyway, that was the melody. I moved it up to... I want you to watch my eyebrow. I know you can't see this. You can't see this if you're listening to the radio. But the beginning of it is all in a major key, so I've got a major key eyebrow. <laughs> <laughs> and then the end, I decided I need a minor key eyebrow. <laughs> they go down now. You furrow yes. your brow. And that's that. That's a really good way to write because you know right. if one eyebrow is going on too long, you, you need the, you need some yeah. contrast. Yeah. And then of course you know you get there and they need a lick to fill it up. 
that's, I just sort of spill all these ideas out and glue them together, and then okay. I've got a good band, and it sounds good. Wow. Uh, well, this is, it's really cool. I'm, I'm glad you had time to come in here and say hello. Me too. You guys are very nice to me, and, and I, I hope the thoughtful answers were, were thoughtful. They were thoughtful. thoughtful. Even more thoughtful than, than Jack White, believe yeah. it or not. Don't tell him oh, that. We won't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely not. Uh, but, uh, no, listen, uh, continued success. The new album is called Behold the Electric Guitar. And it's it's phenomenal. Listen, whether you're a guitar player or not, uh, Paul Gilbert's music is is absolutely worth getting. I I love I just love your stuff. So thanks for cranking it Thank out. Thank you so much. And and lawnmower lovers of the world, unite, unite, <laughs> please do. <laughs> Paul Gilbert, everybody. MMR's day off on the slopes at Jack Frost Mountain, Friday, January tenth. Celebrate winter with the best lift ticket deal out there, along with a Pierre Robert live broadcast and a legendary happy hour with Jackson, live from E2000 Lounge. Listen up. We got you a great deal on lift tickets, but the sooner you buy, the less you pay. Now through December 23rd, lift tickets are just 10 bucks while supplies last. WMMR.com has all the details. MMR's Day Off on the Slopes. Sip, ski, and be merry. Friday, January 10th at Jack Frost Mountain from JFBB, where the snow comes first. And 93.3 WMMR. Everything there rocks. Reddit has a lot of crap, lame discussions, but every now and then they have something that are like, okay, that's kind of an interesting conversation starter. All right, you saw something that spoke to you? It did, and the thread was, what is something that you act like you dislike, but you secretly really like? And like some, like Rambo movies might be in there, you know? Oh, God, please, are you kidding? But actually, you kind of like it, you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, um, yeah, actually, okay. You know, we were talking a little bit uh, when you brought this up a while ago, and I was thinking about it. There's really nothing. And just as you were saying this now in Rambo, there's something that I've fully come around on that I used to profess hating and yeah. now love with a deep passion. Right. Hallmark Christmas movies. There you go. But listen, but you you don't act like you don't like them though. No, That's I used to act like you I don't. Used to? I used to act like I hated them. So you went through a little denial, maybe. And, I went through denial, and, and now I uh, I savor them. Now you embrace it. I embrace them <laughs> there, because there are times when you when you really when you secretly like something. But it's more embarrassed, you know. You don't want to admit it. Do you think you don't know how to? You you're being flooded with emotion or whatever. You don't know how to process it. You're conflicted. Yes. Yes. Do I love this or hate this? It might be it. Uh, maybe I'm a little embarrassed at some of the songs that I like. And if you guys, if you're like, oh, um, you know, we like this, I'm like, oh, good, oh, good, I do too. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't come out and say. Yeah. I love, uh, you know, Shania Twain, unless you guys said it, and then I would be, I'd be like, oh, good, it's okay to like her. You know what? I'm kind of that way, too, Kath. I'm, I'm a little embarrassed at some of the things that I might secretly like, and if and if there's someone else that I hear likes it, then I'm like, yes, I, I could, I'll say it. Yeah. I and like you, that. You know what? For me, it's more like older music. It's not newer stuff. So, like, the newer like stuff. Like Beethoven? Well, no, but, like, the newer stuff, somebody's going to like it, so someone's going to agree with me. I'm okay with that, but, like... The old school songs that like where you guys might be like that is so cheesy and in the back of my head I'm like oh, God I love that song. Well here's here's some examples that were in this thread and we'll we'll take your calls if you want to jump in two one five two six three WMMR. Uh, like here's someone who wrote in and said cheesy flirting pickup lines it makes me roll my eyes but deep down I actually think it's cute. Okay. Okay. So you think most women feel that way? I that's probably a, a split decision on that one. Yeah, Kathy. that's the thing. I, I don't think it's most people. Do you think, Kath? Or no, what was, what was the line that the guy gave you in the uh, in uh, Nashville? Uh, listen, that I did not like. I was not into that. Um, what did he say? Uh, 
I want you, girl. Yeah, I, want I want you, girl. You girl. Yeah. There's a great pickup line uh, for people from Delco. So you ask the girl, are you from Aston? And if they say no, and you say, well, because I'm giving your ass a 10. Oh, and I think that there works. you go. Yes, it's good. Ass 10. What do you do for Springfield? Uh, I'll go through. I'm sp- giving your spring a feel. feel. I'll go into some other examples here. Let me get uh, Andrew. Hi, Andrew. Good morning. Hey, Gadzooks. Gadzooks, buddy. Okay, so something that you act like you dislike, but secretly you really like it. And feel free to use this as a confession here on the show. Yeah. If you've never said this stuff out loud, you can certainly Even if you're a serial killer. Yeah, go ahead, Uh, Andrew. A a few people that are close to me know this. Um, When it was originally airing, I could not stand the TV show Jersey Shore. Jersey Shore. I thought it was the dumbest S, and everybody on there was, like, (laughs) wasting their lives drinking down the shore. Right. And I think only one of them is actually from New Jersey. Right. Most of them are from Sweden. All right. So that was your issue. <laughs> and then what happened? Uh, now that they put it on Netflix and I get bored <laughs> sometimes, I'll put it on in the background as just something to pass the time. So okay. are you into like... It's, the... actually, it's actually pretty entertaining. Are you into the new, the new, the reboot? No, no, no. I'm talking about the original. The original series, yeah. Like five or six seasons, whatever it is. Well, you know what? When it first came on, we we were obviously uh, tremendously critical of it. And then... It's a terrible show. You ended ended up watching it. And by osmosis, you start to get, you know, you start to hear about it. It Mm -hmm. becomes something that you watch. And I guess... And and you you sort of fell into that. Now you kind of like it. Yeah. and, And sometimes you even still see some of them in the area, like... I know Paulie D is like a legitimate DJ. He still does shows in the area. <laughs> and then um, during the NHL half-season lockout a couple of years ago, uh, Vinny was one of the like celebrity coaches. You're on, more than just a passing. Yeah, you're, you're you're totally hooked. All right, thanks, Andrew. Appreciate <laughs> no the problem. admission. Have a, yeah. so, have a good one, guys. I think sometimes like like that might have been with him is is you uh, you took a stand on something. Yeah, you know where where other people were into it and you were like, no, I'm I'm not doing it. And then you all of a sudden happenstance fall into maybe like watching a TV show or whatever it may be, but you took such a staunch. Uh, position on it that you can't admit that you've come around. And before on it. you know it, you're sitting there going, Where's that strap on? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a good one, Preston. This All right. sort of encompasses it. Uh, I'm a New Jersey Devils fan. Flyers are my rivals, but I secretly love Gritty. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. See, okay. Gritty is the bridge builder. Yeah, maybe. That googly eyed bastard. Uh, here we go. Let me go to Jimmy. Hey, Jimmy, good morning. Hey, Gadzooks. Gadzooks, buddy, what's up? Nothing much. Uh, country music. Okay. So you act like you hate it, but actually uh, you love it. If you see me in public, I'm always with a frown on to change the music. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, I'm tapping my foot underneath that table. You know, anything like that. But so I what? Stand it, can't stand it in public, but I love it. Do you, will you actually be with friends and, and put on like a little like a little act like you can't stand to turn the station? Yeah. And then I'll at... At home, you put on your cowboy hat and do line dancing. Exactly. I've got my little my little boots on. My uh, my bow tie. Not my bow tie. My, uh, Bolo. What's that called? Bolo, yeah. Bolo, yeah. It's a cross between country and Pee Wee Herman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll go to a line dance here and there, but I put on disguise. Okay, you know what, though, you, Jimmy? Thanks, man. There's Appreciate also it. the opposite side of that, Preston. We you act like you hate something, but actually love it. 
sometimes people drive me crazy who automatically love everything. Like, don't, you know, like it's, oh, my God. It's unbelievable. You guys hate that. I ha- well, if the, someone goes over the top with yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Marilyn, who we used to work with, was, oh. was known for, uh, it was just her, her sense of drama. You when- haven't seen all dogs go to heaven? <laughs> oh, my Steve, God. Life-changing. Life-changing. Yes, it was, there, were, there were phrases like life-changing. Good burger? Yeah. Life-changing. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a good burger. It's a great burger. Yeah, yeah. Really? I, yeah. I've learned with you guys. You I love Marilyn, but she you don't ever talk to her about a movie before you go to see it because your expectations will be so high. Yeah. yeah, you can't really, with you guys, use any superlatives when you're trying to describe something. Like, I... You know, one time flippantly <laughs> said that Spaceballs was the greatest movie ever, which was just my way of saying I love the movie. Right, right, you right, know? right, right, right. You yeah, know, but you took what I said as literal. Yeah. Wait a second, what did you say? <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. It's totally. a fun movie. Yeah. Better than Good Burger? Yeah. I love that movie as opposed to greatest movie ever made. Uh, yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. We right. got it. Hang on, let me go to, there's some interesting ones up here. I'm going to go to Doug. Hey, Doug. Hey, Bitchy. Hey, what? <laughs> All right, something you act like you dislike, but you secretly love. You know what? I dislike when people judge me for the music I listen to. I will listen to Share, Believe, All Day, Radio Blasting, <laughs> and I am jamming Share, I don't care. Believe? Do you oh, believe yeah. in life in after love? love? Do you believe in life after love? Sing it, Doug. <laughs> Wow! Are you proud now? Do you, do, you, do you let everyone know you love it? Oh yeah! Oh, okay. Now he is. All right. Well, you don't pretend like you dislike it. That's okay. The that's the difference. Yeah. Because in a way, it's like coming out of the closet. You know. Was was there a time that you would hide your feelings about that though? Oh, yeah, all throughout high school. Okay. All right. But he found these clubs where there are a lot of men who listen to it as well. Uh-huh. After hours. All right, Doug, thank oh, you. I appreciate it. Was this the first one that uh, we heard that uh, auto-tuning on? It was, it was the one that was most obvious, yeah, where they yeah. did it as like a as a gimmick as yeah. opposed to kind of hiding it. They, they did... Because throughout the song, she isn't using it, but at that no, point, at that point, they do it as kind of a wasn't it Ti who uh, yeah. was the, the auto tune king, you mean uh, the winner of the Mass Singer? Yes. Oh, is that who won the Mass Singer? Oh, yeah. I saw okay. I saw a promo poster out here. Is it coming back? Oh yeah, it's a new oh, one. the oh, new God. season. It was a huge hit for them. Uh, oh, look. it's already signed for a, a third season as well. Really? Yeah. This one sounds weird. I'm going to go to Kayla. Hi, Kayla. Good morning. Hi. Good morning, Gadzooks. Gadzooks, what's up, Kayla? Um, so, <laughs> this is like a family thing that we're all pretty ashamed of, okay. that we really love Korean soap operas. <laughs> I did not even know that Korean soap operas existed <laughs> here in the U.S. that you could watch them. Yeah, so it started off on this channel that um, my in-laws had. They didn't have, like, full cable, so they got this channel there. They could watch soap operas, and they shared their like for, me, for it with me, and I started watching them, and now they are all over Netflix, and I am addicted, but so embarrassed. Are you, in fact, Korean? I am not okay. at all. <laughs> okay, so I'm sort of hearing that I have a similar thing because I've never liked boy bands or anything like that and then lo and behold i see this dumb bts video mm-hmm. on snl and now i'm into k-pop korean 
pop music. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. Which came out and admitted it right I away. I did. It took a lot. It yeah. took a lot of encouragement from friends. Yeah, yeah. And I, But I went to this club where there was a bunch of guys, Preston, that yeah. listened to the same music. So, Caleb... <laughs> <laughs> So you kind of hey guys, you listen too. You, will you embarrassingly admit this from time to time, or you just kind of keep it to yourself? Um. Well, my husband doesn't understand it at all, and mm-hmm. like will judge me from across the room. But if somebody asks me, like, "Oh, what do you watch on TV?" I, I like try to pick the most popular things. Okay. Yeah, Kayla. Too much effort to explain, like, why do you watch something that you have to read the subtitles? My wife hates the uh, Hallmark Christmas movies, and I love them. So I, I feel your pain. Thank you, Kayla. I appreciate it. My kids were watching some overdubbed uh, kids soap opera thing uh, my daughter does for a while. I think it might be out of Argentina. Okay. Uh, but it's like, um, it's almost like, um, not quite Saved by the Bell sitcom but that age, okay. you know, that high school age. And it's all overdubbed, and they have songs and stuff. And, and they're watching it. They love it. All yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, let me go to, yeah, let's go to uh, Crystal. Hi, Crystal. Good morning. Good morning. Hi. So we're talking about something you act like you dislike, but you secretly really like. Yes. So for years, I've been telling people I would never watch a Star Wars movie. They're corny. I would never like it. But I've seen bits and pieces, and I think if I watched it, I'd really like it. But Mm -hmm. I can't go back now because I've been saying it for years. You're too far in, and you feel that uh, you would lose all cred were you to suddenly pull a full 180. But you know there are many friends who would would accept your, your shift and... Uh, do you think you might give it a try at all? But you're absolutely resolute. You can't go there now. I've been talking so much crap on those movies <laughs> for years. I can't go back. Oh, you, you, so you would, you would pay the price for doing it. Yeah. All maybe, right. maybe Crystal, if you do this, if if you, you with, with your friends that have have told you forever that this is a great series, maybe you make a deal with them and say, "All right, let's all get together and watch it. You just can't bust my balls if I like it, okay? Uh-huh. Because otherwise, they're going to be like, told you, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah." yeah. <laughs> Or Crystal, here's another thing. It's a little bit of a deflection. Burn down a hospital. Oh, no, no. Then tell them you like Star Wars. <laughs> so they're going to be like, what? <laughs> right? It These are all great it. ideas. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. Thank you, Crystal. That's, I, you know, it's uh-huh. kind of how I feel like my wife is about Marvel movies. She is so dug in on her uh, opinion of it all. Because like, and why do I think she would like it if she gave it a try? You know why, Steve? Because it's brilliant filmmaking. Yeah, over over a long period of time, and it's wonderful storytelling. Even the most reticent person, I, you know, it is. You could extract a lot of what makes it the superhero stuff, and it, there's just good drama and good mm-hmm. ensemble stories. But um, my wife, uh, I, I had to chip away at her, and, and now she's she's into it, and she she wants to watch Endgame with me. So I, I consider that a score. Yeah. I'm going to go to Jeff. Hi, Jeff. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. What's up, bud? Uh, I, I actually didn't really like this until you brought the subject up. Mm-hmm. I, I secretly like the Kardashians. I, I don't even <laughs> want to admit it. It's wow. kind of like, you know, I, I would never tell anybody, you know, to, to I would stay away from drugs just on the off chance that you like them. I, I won't watch the Kardashians just on the off chance. Yeah, that you might like it. Because I hate <laughs> them so much. And then you find yourself in an alleyway giving a handy to some guys because he, he has a set that's playing the Kardashians. Uh-huh. Exactly. Uh-huh. Well, my girlfriend watches all the time and she'll I'll fall asleep and I still have the TV on and she puts the Kardashians on. I wake up and say, shut those effing... <laughs> Oh, I don't want... Bitches. Yeah, those effing bitches off and go back to sleep. And 
But you know, when she got home, I'll put, uh, if it's on, it'll be, I'll watch it. You're you're oh. you're you're right in what yeah. we're talking about because. Uh, but I understand what you're saying. You you want to fight it. Like for example, I don't want to go anywhere near any of these Real Housewives shows because for fear. Oh, she watches that too. She I, watches I, those too. Yeah. Like, All right. It's it's. Uh, I don't even like to admit it. I feel your pain. Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, All right. Hey, does uh, does Chuck like the Bachelor shows, or does he just watch them to watch them with his daughter and his wife? I think, I he, think likes he likes them, them now. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. And that's that'd be another one where we can't again. Um. I, I've tried to see what people are seeing, and I, I can't. I, I loathe them, and, yeah. and we'll stumble across them from time to time, and I get angry that I'm even watching it at all. Uh-huh. But then I feel like, well, maybe it's something I can talk about on the show a little bit and maybe yeah. educate myself on it. And then I'm like, I probably have to quit because this is just terrible. Uh, I I like Dancing with the Stars. You did in the first few seasons. I did, and, and but my reasoning was because the, the professional dancers are so yeah. damn hot. And you liked the costumes. Oh you thought good. they were oh hot. Oh, my God, yes. Well, they're they're non-existent. Yeah. Yeah, so I could see that. That's a yeah, little listen, embarrassing to Did admit. you really like Hee Haw years ago? No. No? What did you watch it for? The, the Hee Haw honeys. honeys. Yeah. Uh, let me see here. There's another good one coming up here. I'm going to go to uh, Chris K. Hi, Chris. You're on the air. Good morning. Hey, good morning, guys. Hey, good. Uh, I, so, what's up, man? What did you want to admit? Uh, you secretly, you act like you dislike, but you secretly like. Well, I, I did it for Game of Thrones for all eight seasons. I'm like, I'm not watching it. I'm not giving it a shot because <laughs> I was kind of like, you know, I was always into fantasy and all that. So, I like, I saw the first, like, episode or two, and I'm like, eh, it's just not drawing me in. Uh, and then I heard that, you know, if you watch through season one, you know, it'll 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 draw you in and you'll be sucked. Yep. And then, uh, well... Season eight premiered. Finally, started watching through episode all of season one, and yeah, watched all eight seasons within like two months. But the entire time, were you denying that you liked it? Um, for well, no, like I said, I denied that I even wanted to give it a shot for eight years. I'm like, no, I'm not doing it. So when you're actually watching it, did you finally have to admit to people that you were telling you you had no desire that you had turned around and now you were yeah, a fan? I'm like, yep. I love Game of Thrones. Even when I went out, I bought a shirt. You know, I was in all the house. <laughs> yep, yep. I'm like a super fan. A lot of it, and, uh, it has to do with eating crow, though. It has to do with you, yeah, fight, you yeah. sucking Thanks, it man. up and just saying, all right, you were right. All right. How about this? This looks... Oh, where did it go? Oh, no. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This sounds interesting. I will go to Scott. I'll go to Scott. Hey, Scott. Hey, sorry about you guys at work. It's all good, buddy. All right, so something that you act like you dislike, but you really secretly like. Was Little House on the Prairie. <laughs> Little House on yes. the Prairie. Wow. Yes. Laura yes. Ingalls. And, yes. And your reason that you were embarrassed to admit that? I had long hair growing up, hung with all the headbangers and the jock <laughs> and playing sports. And God forbid if they ever found out that we'd be out playing football on a Sunday and I'd have to come up with some excuse so I could get in on time. <laughs> To watch it by seven o'clock, <laughs> yes. so nobody would know that you were oh, watching awesome. Little House on yeah. the Prairie. Yeah, and the weird thing is, if I'm flipping through the channels today and I see like a rerun of it, I'll actually stop and still watch. It. Yep. Did you watch it all the way to the series finale when they blew up the town? Yes, I did. Okay. Yes, I did. Wow, right, Scott, you were <laughs> I hardcore. Got, I actually got a little teary eyed on that. Too. <laughs> that's that's a good that's, admission. That could really be like. Thanks, Scott. A deep, dark secret, you know, that you're holding. Totally. Especially if your image is you're a, you're a headbanger. Yeah. And you're, you're rushing home to watch Abs- Little House on the Prairie. Absolutely. Uh, we'll go to our buddy uh, Craig Legans. Hey, Craig, good morning, sir. 
What up, white folks? Hey, man. Um, I know a lot of white people, so um, I began to hate the electric slide. Okay. Because um, I've been to at least 384 weddings in the last four years. and uh, But I, I thought I secretly liked it because uh, I hated it when it was done. But when I saw it being done wrong, I was like, no, stop it. Do it like this. Um, but I, everyone knew, always knew I hated it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then our local uh, sports team, I believe the Philadelphia Eagles, mm-hmm. uh, started doing it during their Super Bowl run. And then I really started, you know, liking it, liking it. And then I went to another wedding, my 385th. And the whole time I was like, no one's doing the electric slide? Really? <laughs> no one? I'm kind of disappointed. No. So so you're now into it. I think the thing with those kind of dances, especially at a wedding, too, if you're single... Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you you get up and you're you're you're, you know, it's a good way yeah, to meet. I love yeah, the electric slide. Never, it's a way to get onto the dance floor because <clears> I, you know, when you're kind of feel a little dorky. And like, Am I, are my arms doing the right thing? Are my legs doing the right thing? And you know, even if I have it's rhythm, regimented. I, yeah. So the el- yeah. the electric slide, I really do like. I can't stand the Macarena. I can't stand it. Uh, and that's yeah. not, yeah. you know, I don't even... You don't, see, like you don't even secretly like it. Nope. It's not manly yeah. enough. Craig, your call on the uh, on uh, the Macarena? Uh, that's a whole different... <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's for another... Different. That's another time. All right, yeah, thanks, I mean, man. What about the chicken dance? Else, yes. Well, I love Thank the chicken you. dance, but that's for kids. Thanks, man. We'll talk to you later. <laughs> there are a lot of people that are texting in that they secretly like the Preston and Steve show, but uh, their friends <laughs> give them some guff. Well, that's the whole that's the whole impetus for our black listeners. Yeah, yeah. That people would sheepishly call in and go. By the way, I'm black. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Wait a minute. So people are texting in that their friends don't like our show, or that they pretend that they don't like the show, but everybody. So it's this thing that people all secretly really <laughs> yeah, like. Yeah, I can you know, totally see that. If they're texting in in the first place, but why would probably... you be embarrassed of us? Oh, Screw we're, you! We're, we're, no, no, no. We should help them out by giving fake call letters now and then. Yeah, <laughs> Kathy, because maybe you're listening few, to NPR. Maybe it's a few upstanding citizens in society, right, right. or people with taste. They, yeah, and they don't. People with stature. People with stature and taste. They don't want to do it. Who can discern quality who are making that call. I understand. We should have a secret, like a word or something like that, for the people who are embarrassed to admit they listen to the show that they can tell to other people. Kaflavin? Kaflavin. I'd like to know. I would like to know why, though. Like, Is it because because they're, like, upstanding citizens? They have, like, I don't know, a certain... I've got a reason, and it's because radio is, quote-unquote, not cool. You know, it's like it's not the newest, hippest podcast or, or something. Mm. It's been around for a while. It's established. And right. anything that's around, it's like saying, um, you know, that Jim Gardner is cool. Of course he is. But people aren't allowed to admit that he's cool because he's been around for so long. You know what I get sometimes are people who are like, who are maybe embarrassed to admit to me that they listen. Like, well, I, I really don't listen to your show. But, but then we'll rattle off 19 things I said that, that day. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm like, why did you just say that? Yeah. Well, I I don't know. It's but it's 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 a weird it's a weird dynamic. But I think we could have the equivalent of like uh, AA Preston, where people come in and (laughs) you know donuts, and they can all be chain smoking and uh, they can write letters. Hi, I'm Bill. I'm a a listener. I listen to Preston. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. You can admit it. Hi, Bill. And you have to you have to do you know go to the people that you've uh, other shows that you've listened to and apologize. Yeah, PSA. You're in a safe space here. Yeah. You know, uh, let me go to uh, our friend Brian, Brian Cunningham. Opie mm. Cunningham. <laughs> hey, Brian, how you doing? Good, Durga Durga. Durga, buddy. All right, so you used to work with our, our uh, buddy, uh, Senator Chris Coons. Uh, I do know that. Now, you wanted to admit something that you've been embarrassed to admit or that you act like you dislike? 
I uh, have hated on this particular musical artist for uh, 10 years and uh, have secretly uh, enjoyed her music, and that is Taylor Swift. You Taylor Swift. Oh. I heard him say it. Wow, mm. you bite your tongue. She is wonderful. What's your favorite I song? My, I, probably 15. Oh, really? <laughs> wow. You know, I didn't really care for her until 1989 album came out. I love her. Um, yeah. Didn't she Our wear shorts? <laughs> Very catchy, um, but uh, yeah, I, I bought my wife uh, tickets for the show two years ago, and I was ter- having terrible FOMO that her and her. All right, so oh, really? <laughs> Let me ask you then: what's what's her favorite? What's her favorite pet? See how much you know oh, about her. Her two cats. There she's you go. Well, he's hey. in. He's in. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know oh, that wow. much. That's a, that's the extent of her. Taylor Swift and the cats. Yeah, yeah. that down. <laughs> All right, Brian. That's a good admission. Thank you, brother. We appreciate it. Actually, Welcome. there's a there's a couple. Bye. 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 Uh, there are a uh, a few people that were saying Taylor Swift. Here's a guy. Chris said he is. We have to wrap things up. Admit that he he's scared to admit that he likes Nickelback. Uh, here's Melissa is a Dallas fan. Secretly likes the Eagles. Whoa. Uh, we uh, support that. Steve's been on hold for a long time. He secretly liked Cats, the musical. <laughs> Uh, West uh, secretly loves living in New Jersey, even though he tells everybody he hates it. <laughs> That's funny. Why do you feel compelled to tell people you hate it? That's perfect. And Scott was ashamed for people to know that he liked the big, comfy couch TV show, the kids' oh, show. Yes, I remember that. You remember that? That they, chick was annoying, though, a little bit. They used to shoot that down at uh, Center City Film and Video. I used to see the set when oh, we were really? going there to do voiceovers. Yeah, huh. exactly. Well, interesting. Take stock in all this and uh, see if maybe something that uh, that you're afraid to admit is something you can go ahead and open up about. You might feel better. It might be liberating. Or the, the, you might get your ass kicked. Yeah, but they might be yeah, still body pulp. Especially our fans. 93.3 WMMR presents Preston and Steve's Totally Office Calendar 2020. Shot on location at the Met, Philadelphia. 12 magnificent months featuring the most gorgeous girls and our loveliest listeners. On sale now for just 15 bucks in the MMR Rock Shop at WMMR.com. Order by this Friday to have it in time for the holidays or get your hands on a free copy at an upcoming calendar raid while meeting the girls and members of the show. Details at WMMR.com. 93.3 WMMR. Everything that rocks. Next guest is no stranger to WMMR as uh, we've been uh, proud supporters of Rush since day number one. Or That's way, right. Way, way back when. And, uh, and you know what? If you write it, you, you've got to be qualified to write a book called The Beautiful Book of Bass. And I'd say that this might be alone just a pretty good qualification to write a book like that. And I'll let it speak for itself. Oh, that's just a little tidbit. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the one and only Mr. Getty Lee. Good morning, Getty. Good morning. How are you guys? We're wonderful, man. Thanks for coming on this morning. My pleasure. Uh, The Big Beautiful Book of Bass, you've been touring all over the country, and this has been how long in the making? When did you you start this project, Getty? Well, I guess um, I got the idea for doing it about uh, almost three years ago now, and then uh, I wasn't really sure if we'd be able to pull it off in the way that I, I thought it needed to be pulled off, mm-hmm. you know, the quality involved. But we, I put a team together of 
some really fantastic people. Richard Sybil, who's an amazing photographer, uh, my longtime friend and journalist, Daniel Richler, who helped me pound out the words, and uh, my longtime tech, John Scully McIntosh. And uh, after spending about eight months shooting instruments in my home in the art studio that my wife very kindly donated to me, <laughs> uh, she, she thought it was going to be for a month, but eight months later and 30,000 photographs later, uh, we finally moved out. <laughs> I, I love the genesis of this story and, and, and doing some research about the book and, and your idea to proceed with it. Um, you, you say you're sort of prone to being a collector of things. You're, you have eclectic sensibilities. Uh, but you, this, this instrument, this tool that you've used to make your living for so many, you know, for decades now, you didn't know a lot about. And then, I think it was, what, 2012, uh, there's a deal for you to get, uh, I think it's a 1953 Fender bass. An electric bass, and and you're like, do I do I want this? Do I not want this? And was that sort of the flashpoint at which you started to say, I I think I want to pursue collecting these and get a better knowledge of this thing that I've been holding in my hands for so many years. Well, yeah, that's exactly right. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm I am a collector by nature. I have the collector mentality or the disease, as we <laughs> refer to it. I know it well. And and these things, you know, uh, you know, wreak havoc on my life. But at the same time, they become windows into the past for me. They become, uh, you know, ways of me learning about the world. You know, when I became a, a baseball fan, uh, it was when I was traveling around America. You know, doing all these dates, playing, you know, you know, three hundred shows a year. Uh, and with my afternoons free, I would watch baseball games from WGN or, or you know, the super stations at the time on right. cable. That mm -hmm. was, you know, before the net. So uh, I became a manic baseball fan, and, and I started collecting baseball ephemera, and that really was an education in the history of, of America in the last 200 years. So um, when it came to, as you say, holding uh, an electric bass in my hand, and I got the offer for this 1953 Fender Precision Bass, which is also from the year of my birth. Uh, now you know how old I am. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, I, I realized that I didn't know anything about the invention of this thing and what was the atmosphere like. Who were the people that were tinkering and trying to bring the modern age into the stand-up double bass players of the world? And so... I started researching it, and I started having so much fun. I decided, well, I'll start put together a modest collection of bases that represent some of the great heroes of mine. You know, like an EB3 that Jack Bruce played, or a, wow. a Hofner violin bass that Paul McCartney used to use, a 4001S Rickenbacker that Chris Squire used, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, well, that modest uh, wish list of about a dozen bases quickly turned into over 250. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, what the hell am I going to do with these now? I, I have to justify it in some way. I have to create some sort of, uh, you know, reason, you know, raison d'etre. So uh, I also, during, during my uh, investigations into the history and the past of this instrument, realized that there was no one compendium out there. There was no one book where you could find the answers to these questions about the various models and the various kinds of bases. So I thought, okay, there's a hole in the world of 
big, beautiful books, and there's room for the big, beautiful book space. Absolutely. You know, and, and I love that you took the care for the for the proper photographs, because I've seen pictures of iconic instruments, and I'll use guitars in particular, like Lucille from B.B. King, or maybe Willie Nelson's guitar, or Big Red from uh, Brian May. Um, of the bass guitars, you mentioned Paul's Hofner bass. Do you think that worldwide... That's probably the most legendary, you know, single owner bass guitar that's existed that people just recognize. Well, yeah, he, he certainly uh, that violin bass is synonymous with Paul. It's synonymous with the Beatles, and the Beatles were the most impactful band really ever. So, yeah, I would say that's one of the most identifiable basses out there. I loved your black and white Rickenbacker. I thought that was the coolest looking bass guitar. Now, you've been through a few in your time, and I know that your your Fender Jazz is your is your number one, as you've said before. But that was a pretty awesome bass. Do you have a, a, a connection to that and still have that, I assume? Oh, yeah. No, I still have that bass. And, and, you know, a lot of people still connect me very strongly with my Rickenbacker period. And, of course, uh, the double necks, too. Right. Alex and I, there's an iconic photo of the two of us, you know, both, you know, strapped behind these monster instruments. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, I have all those. And there's a part of the book that I I, called my favorite headaches, where I I go into great detail to show the instruments that really I I made my living holding uh, that were part of the Rush history. And, and you know, I, I sort of treat those in the same way I treat the other vintage instruments. Every now and then you'll hear about a, a musician, particularly the guitarist, who, who let one get away from them in, in their in their tours, whatever it may be, or they sold at an earlier time. Uh, did you ever have a bass get away from you that you wish you could get your hands back on, or have you managed to hang on to the ones that you really love? Well, I've, I've hung on to most of them. I still wish I had my very first one, which was a $35 Kenora Japanese-made bass uh, that Alex and I painted. Uh, you know, we tried to imitate the bass the bass and guitar that Eric Clapton and Jack Bruce had that were painted by these guys that were known as the Fool yeah. uh, back in the psychedelic era. And so we did our own, you know, 14-year-old version of it, which was a little less than, you know, accomplished. Uh, but I still wish I had that one. And uh, in a in a fit of generosity, I donated my number one uh, double neck to the Canadian National Archives in Ottawa. So uh, I thought I was doing a good deed for my country, but I kind of missed that one. But uh, they loaned it back to me so I could shoot it for this book. Which okay. Was cool. them. <laughs> Speaking about, you know, the, 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 the nature of the collector and, and in a way what it does, I, I love the thrill of the chase. I love that in, in, in essence you become sort of an Indiana Jones. You're, you're using, you become, your archaeology chops pop out and you start to go through these things and do the research and uh, learning about just, you know, keying off your fascination with this and what you were laying in a number of the interviews that I was reading, um, the whole genesis of the bass becoming the electric and precision bass, which I didn't realize pertains to the the actual frets on the bass, allowing the basses to be more accurate with their playing. Um, you, you, and you sort of described the, the um, prior to that, that the double bass or the the larger bass unit that we're we're familiar with prior to that was sort of the um, it, it kind of made those musicians have to lug that around the quasimodos uh, yeah. of the music world because they had this huge thing and it really was a pivotal pivotal point in music when these things came into being correct 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, one thing that was really fascinating to me was seeing the old ads that Fender used to put out. Like, there's an ad where they have an old case for a double bass, right? <laughs> which is this giant thing. And they just put a, a precision bass sitting inside it, which looks tiny. Yeah. And you realize, and you start doing your research and seeing pictures of these bass players that were schlepping these things around the country and of course they didn't fit in any of the vehicles so they were often just tied to the roof of the van or the bus or whatever mode of transportation they had at the time so they were really relegated to second citizens in, in terms of being a band yep. so I, I often put myself in that frame of mind and imagine that I'm a double bass player and I'm playing these clubs and all of a sudden I hear about this precision bass and you can plug it into an amp which means you can actually control the volume and it, it sits on your shoulder and you play it like a guitar and it must have been such a strange moment for yeah. these guys yeah yeah and not all of them took to it of course a lot of them just poo-pooed it but some of them immediately took to it and, and it changed really the course of popular music and and that's the, the benefit of of my my crazy indulgence was that I learned a sort of a secondary history of popular music through the eyes of, of the bass manufacturers and the people that played these basses from the late 40s right up through the 70s. Uh, Getty, I saw there was a study a couple of years that was done a couple of years ago about uh, it was a scientific study about what instruments are most important in a live setting. And it came down hands back that the bass is the most important instrument because it fills the room, it's got so much presence, and without it, there's no real body. And it doesn't mean that music without it is not any good, but if you really want to connect with an audience, you've got to have a bass. And you played for 40 years on the, on the road with Rush, and I have to ask, when you would hit those really big low-end notes, say those first few notes of Xanadu, when you go into that, you feel some kind of power. I mean, I know you did it for a long time, but you know, it's almost, you know, you're shaking the room, you know? Yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, by the way, that's a brilliant study. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> you you, you totally happen. validated. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, there's no question that the uh, the combination of a big low, you know, open E note uh, resonating through, uh, you know, a 20,000 seat venue combined with a, a power chord. That is one of the greatest mm -hmm. feelings that a rock and roller can create. You know, it, it's just, a, it's a beautiful thing. And you do sort of bathe in that moment when you do it. That's but, cool. But, you know, usually you're too busy thinking of the next <laughs> note to, to, yeah. to spend too long with it. But yeah, it, it's it's a luscious uh, indulgence. For nice. You. I was reading about uh, the Gibson Thunderbird. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but initially you had said that this was not a, a bass where you had initially liked the sound of it. And and then um, later on, upon exploration and, and finding out more about it and obviously pr proceeding along with the book, you now love this uh, bass. And you, st and you started to bring, in, in essence, it started this thing that has you, you know, for the, for the last tours of Rush, bringing along a whole you know, a ton of bases so that you could get eclectic sounds. Um, what, what is what is the holy grail bass that is not in the Getty Lee collection that you are still looking for? Mm. Oh, okay, that's a, that's a tough question to answer, but um, uh, there are a few bases I'm still looking for, and mostly they are sort of esoteric desires. You know, like uh, there's certain colors of uh, of a you know, pre-CBS Fender basses that I haven't been able to find. There's a, a, a 
particularly, uh, you know, iconic bass from 1968. Fender made these two, uh, they were sort of precision bass reissues. They were, that's when they brought back the Telecaster bass, which, which was sort of the first design of, of the precision bass. And they, because of, it was 68 and it was the summer of love and it was psychedelia, you know, yeah. one of them, one of them was covered in literally, uh, paisley, pink paisley wallpaper and the other was covered in blue floral wallpaper. <laughs> For some reason, the pink paisleys are much easier to find than the blue floral. So I'm still looking for a blue floral 1968 uh, Fender uh, Telecaster bass. Uh, Getty, in, uh, in 2004, uh, Canadians elected you or nominated you as the 96th greatest Canadian of all time. And <laughs> I, I'm wondering if you know who number 95 is. I have no idea. Uh, it's it's Lord Stanley. Lord so Stanley. You, you yeah. Lord Stanley Cup. You rank right behind Lord Stanley who created the Stanley Cup. So I just okay. want to congratulate you on that. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> That's quite an honor. Yeah. You guys, you guys are full of interest. <laughs> hey, Ged, I wanted to ask: Have you uh, have you been getting the itch to write or play live uh, in any way? Um, well, you know, I've always liked to play, and uh, this book has been a wonderful distraction for me and a, and a fantastic, edifying journey in a sense. And le- you know, every time you learn about something new or, or some different process, which writing. Writing a book is is a whole new venture for me. Uh, it expands your mind. It expands the way you think, and so it's a good thing for you. But uh, whenever I'm home, of course, I always have a, a base in my hand, and, and eventually I will uh, probably try to seek some sort of gainful employment with that. Okay, I wanted to ask you because this you, this is your you know your your first swipe at uh, writing a, a book of of this nature, and it involved a lot of interviews. And you're usually the interviewee, not the interviewer. And yeah. your I believe your first interview for the book was bill wyman which yeah. is, seems fairly formidable um what what did you bring into that and what was your mindset approaching uh you know uh, obviously a legend like bill wyman uh, any special techniques and was he immediately a good subject <laughs> well bill um uh, if you if you read the interview in the book you'll see the the kind of character that bill is he is a fantastically funny and wry sense of humor, right? He's a very funny man. But he's also an incredibly fascinating and deeply talented person in, in many different ways. He's written nine books. He's an amateur archaeologist. He invented his own metal detector because, as he would tell you himself, I have very small hands. So... He was lovely to talk to, but he was a little bit daunting because he wants to talk about anything other than bases. So it was my very first interview, so the first time that I was on the other side of the table, so to speak, and we were in a restaurant in Chelsea in London, uh, and... uh, you know, I had to keep trying to bring him back to the bass guitar when he wanted to talk about how he, you know, he loved, you know, cricket and he had thrown a, a hat trick at the Oval. I'm the only musician ever to do that. Well, you sort of feel like a border collie at that point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, you know, he was great fun and it was really enjoyable. But I didn't know whether when I left there whether I had the material that I needed. But, of course, I had that and and way more. Wow. I, as a baseball fan, I'm sure you've heard of the term the yips. Um, and have you ever – is there a such thing as the yips as a musician? And I'm asking you specifically because of the type of music you guys played. It's it's so fast and progressive that – Intricate. And, and intricate, really. 
Uh, have you ever um, experienced anything like that? Well, only in terms of remembering lyrics. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I mean, when you're playing a three-hour show and, and some of those lyrics are rather complex, Yes. if you've uh, ever read any of the lyric sheets that come with our records. <laughs> yes. So there, are, there have been times where I walk up to the mic and I open my mouth and nothing comes out. <laughs> I, I, I remember it. one time I was playing a concert in Leeds in England and uh, it was closer to the heart and it's just guitar and my voice and I open my mouth and uh, <laughs> nothing. <laughs> and that's and one of the so, most iconic beginnings. Yeah. yeah. And the crowd very kindly started reminding me of what the lyrics were. And so I got back into the group, They'll help you out when you need them like yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, speaking of, of baseball, two two more book ideas, Getty, since uh, you are now an author. Uh, big, beautiful book of baseball. Yeah. Or being a wine aficionado, the big, beautiful book of booze. Yeah, or Burgundy. Yeah. Burgundy oh, is, is it more? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's no, a classier way to. Good, I, good, good ideas, but yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, you know there are books on baseball and yeah. by true, more uh, by more uh, respected writers than myself, and there are lots of books on wine. But the bass guitar, I felt, uh, was the right thing for me to to go out. And, and create a book for because I actually feel like I've, you know, I've held that instrument in my hand for yeah. over 45 years. So. Hey, I wanted to mention, I've watched uh, Beyond the Lighted Stage probably a dozen times. Great documentary about the band. I oh, just wow. want to tell you, your mother is adorable. <laughs> <laughs> she is, she's the sweetest thing. She can tell, you can tell she raised a good boy and did it mainly on her own. And that's yeah. a wonderful thing. Now, didn't she and Dave Grohl's mom uh, start to have a relationship together? Because I know yeah. she wrote a book about rock no. moms. No, absolutely. They're, they're pals. And, uh, you know, my family and the Grohl family have gotten quite close over the years. And it, largely due to Jenny Grohl, because she wrote that book about rock moms. And she came up here to, to meet my mom and interview her. And they just got on like a house on fire. And and they're still, they still communicate. And, and uh, you know, they were just up here recently doing a, a, a talk. Jenny was doing a talk on her book with Dave. And so they were all over at the house. So, um, yeah, it's a lovely thing that, that they, these two uh, found each other. And, you know, my mom's older, of course, than, than Jenny, mm -hmm. but she's really a very sweet lady. And, and the way Dave treats my mom is, is just, I mean, he is really one of the good guys, I got to tell you. That's very cool. I, I have to assume at this point, and we know that, you know, Dave is a, is a huge fan. There's, you have so many fans, and, and the, the term fanboy is very applicable because, you know, that, uh, I'm sure you have encountered or the you have a, a certain radar when it comes to people approaching you and who might lapse into absolute uh, adoration. Um, you know, do you um, does it does it get old? Are you always flattered by it? How you know, because there's a, there's a certain level of fandom that I think surrounds you and your band in particular that sort of transcends a lot of other bands. Uh, how do you handle that? Well, you know, that's an interesting question. Um, when I started to plan the promotion of this book, of course, the idea of book signings came up, which is sort of a traditional thing that, that authors do. And there were so many ideas. There were so many complicated ways of handling it. People were trying to protect me in certain ways. And in the end, it all got very tiresome. I said, look, let's just do a few of these things and see how they go. Right. And uh, I started planning a few of them. And, 
and showing up not knowing what to expect. And, you know, I found lineups of Rush fans. And and I have found, honestly, the, the whole experience so lovely. And meeting these folks, they're so appreciative of the two minutes they get with me just to speak their mind and, and to share some of their Rush history with me. And it's just been it's been wonderful. Oh, that's great. There have been very few people that I've met in the course of all the signings I've done that have been, you know, a bit uncomfortable. But, <laughs> you know, uh, for the large part of it, it's a very meaningful moment for them, and it turns into a very meaningful moment for me. So I've really enjoyed it. Also, Getty, I want to remind people that Cin- uh, Cinema Strangiato is uh, coming out. It's a uh, There's one night screening that's happening at, at different... Uh, movie theaters around the country and this is a new documentary or is it mainly just cover uh the the r40 that final tour yeah what it is 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 basically uh kind of a a way of celebrating the r40 tour in a sense on the big screen Hmm. uh it's taken a lot of of stuff that fans might have seen on that uh video the concert footage but it's added a, a few twists to it there's there's some sound check footage. There's some uh, pieces that people haven't seen and haven't been released. And there are interviews with various musicians, blah, blah, blahing about us. And <laughs> so, uh, you know, I think the intent of, of the record company in that regard was to just to create something that you can't have at home. Yeah. You know, going into a venue with a, a ton of other like-minded Rush fans and, you know, celebrating the, the final tour, as it were. Um, I haven't uh, had a chance to, to read the, the book, and I can't wait to, but I do have a question. There doesn't happen to be a section with Paul Rudd called Slapping the Bass. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you have no idea how many times I've had to write that phrase. I'm sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, uh, I, I love that he has kind of become a part of, of your family uh, <laughs> yeah, no, in he, that way because he's such a great guy. He so. is a super, super guy. Awesome. Getty, we're huge fans. Congratulations on the success of this book and, and uh, hope you enjoy your time here in Philadelphia. Thank you much, guys. I really appreciate talking. No problem. Getty Lee, ladies and gentlemen. Wow. That could have been any better. Wow, wow, What a nice guy. Oh, my God. Let me ask you, when when you talk to a hero like that, and Mm -hmm. they're as nice as he is, and as Canadian as he is, Mm -hmm. does it change your perception uh, of of having him up on a pedestal at all? I think we could be best friends. That's what I'm asking. Uh, I really, no. Um, (laughs) It humanizes them. It really does. And I think, for me, if I may jump in here, Preston, it, it raises them up even more. Yeah. You know, yeah, I agree. Uh, a, a, a nice, pleasant conversationalist. Uh, you know, and whereas in the converse situation, someone that you hold up who is taciturn and, and cold, it, it destroys it. Here, it just embellishes. Yeah, I, di- I didn't fanboy on him. I was, I was thinking about it, and uh, and I have met him a couple of times, and he's been very, very pleasant. And actually, sat in on an interview with Pierre when Pierre had with him. He was nice enough to invite me in on the interview. You ever see the Terminator? <laughs> <laughs> But I, I was thinking about what that, what what I get from the band's music, and and I just you know I I would like to relay that to Getty, but he's heard it before, and I'm yeah. just a guy to him, and and it'd be no big deal. But I was just thinking about all the enjoyment over the years that I've gotten out of their music. In case you, the same thing could be say uh, said for Fish for You, 
Steve, for, for, for Steely Dan or, or for Genesis or the yeah. bands that you really, really love, Nick Pearl Jam and BTS. all that. BTS. Mm-hmm. And BTS. Yeah. Yeah. No, man, I, I've just gotten, I've gotten enjoyment. I've gotten emotion. I've gotten uh, musical intrigue from how precise and amazing and creative they are. I've gotten great advice. But more than anything, out, out of Rush's music, I've gotten great stories. Because the way Neil would write lyrically, I'm, I'm blown away. I can either sit there and I can either focus on... Neil's incredible drumming, or I can focus on Getty's amazing musicianship overall, or Alex's incredible and in, in inventive, uh, creative ways on the guitar, or the message, or the story, or whatever it is, and I can focus on one of those at a time. And and there are a lot of great stories that have been written in that music over the years, and 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 the same can be said for your favorite band, my favorite band, uh, the Beatles. And obviously, I get all of that from them as well. You know, well, and it's just great. It's uh, just music is so awesome. You I love would, it. when you want to fanboy out because time stands still is is in the pantheon of of great great songs that mean the world to me. Whenever you to me, every time I hear that song, it's a re um, a correction of how how to approach life and and to to savor each moment. Yes, and that is actually. On a technical level, it's probably one of the more simple songs that they do, and it, there's, there's, it, but it is it it speaks volumes to me. I know you feel the same way about it. Yeah. It's just a great song that gets you at a gut level. And but again, he's heard it yeah. countless times. Sure. You know. yep. I enjoyed listening to that interview, guys. I thought it was a, I thought it was a really good interview. <laughs> Sorry, I kind of no, no, no. This, took over, but this was for you. Oh. Uh, and Marissa was able to isolate, I think, she thinks uh, a pretty special part of the interview. Okay, listen, here we go. Hang That's on. a brilliant study. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> <laughs> ah, there he goes. I brought up something that he really appreciated. <laughs> I gotta punch myself on the arm. Here. Way to go, Way buddy. To go, bud. Nice job. Man, that was really cool. Get social with Preston and Steve and WMMR. Facebook, Twitter, you know, the usual places. Hi, I'm Steven Singer. Yep, that's me, the I Hate Steven Singer guy. People ask me all the time, what does this mean, I Hate Steven Singer? Well, maybe this is the reason. At my store, we don't play pricing games. We wouldn't treat our friends like that. We only have one price. One place, one price. Come to my store and feel the difference. You'll have fun buying a diamond for somebody you love. Steven Singer Jewelers. One place, one price. 888-I-HATE-STEVEN-SINGER. Online, I-HATE-STEVEN-SINGER.COM. And our flagship store at the other corner of 8th and Walnut in Philly. Hey, it's Preston. Thank you to Jack Frost Mountain for sponsoring today's podcast. Jack Frost and Big Boulder Ski Areas are officially open for the season. And WMMR's Day Off on the Slopes with Pierre and Jackson is coming up soon. It's January 10th. Get your discount lift tickets at WMMR.com while supplies last. JFBB, where the snow comes first. Back with more of the Preston and Steve Show podcast. Now, WMMR presents Kristen and Steve's Bizarre Final. The Louisiana State Police on Monday revealed an extraordinary security breach. It happened at the governor's mansion, saying they arrested a man last week who trespassed into the building, damaged property... And then he fell asleep on the couch. He almost had it. And that's where... I am so sleepy. That's where they found him in the governor's mansion, crashing on the couch. Don't you think the tension of what he was doing would keep him up and on edge a little bit? Probably. Especially, and he's in a fairly high-profile location. Yeah. 
Uh, or maybe you're just so cash, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Raynard Green was booked on counts including simple burglary, criminal trespassing, criminal damage to property. Green was found asleep on a couch and had broken an antique wooden table. Mm, this just looks very comfortable. Officials found suspected narcotics on Green after patting him down. All right, maybe, oh, narcotics. Maybe he got high. Now it makes sense. Uh, Green was found asleep before 6 a.m. The records say that he was placed in leg shackles before becoming extremely violent, but he was arrested. A bear was euthanized after getting into a home over the weekend. An official said the same bear had entered entered several homes last year. Huh. Officials responded to a home Saturday morning to investigate after getting reports that a black bear had gotten into a home and police had to euthanize the animal. Yeah. Well, once it once it started doing that over and over again, it becomes an issue. Uh the bear This porridge is just right. <laughs> the bear had an ear tag. Uh, and DEEP officials, and I guess DEEP stands for the Department of Energy and Environmental Protection. No, knock it off. Uh, said that the bear had entered multiple homes last year. It also entered a home last month. So this guy is going around just... This profit's just right. This guy... Yeah, that's what I was <laughs> yeah, wondering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had the guy who was trying on the women's clothes <laughs> exactly, the other day. Yeah. You walk in, there's uh, a bear. Yeah, they perfect. They, uh, these panties are awesome. Hey, what are you doing? Hey! Just trying on try some clothing. Get out of that! Uh, the State Department of Energy and Environment. I think I look better in it. Protection uh, tracks bear sightings, and uh, there were reports of 611 black bear sightings in Simsbury. Uh, Simsbury? Yeah, in the last year. I don't know where that is. I think Why, it might, so, so many goddamn bears there? I think it might be in Colorado. It's because we have really great lingerie, <laughs> and we just love it. It feels so good. Well, you can't deny who you are. Uh, emus, very large birds. Yes, they are, and uh, can be uh, uh, pricks. Yeah, they can, uh, but they're not really pets you want to keep indoors. Still, an emu got to spend a night inside after it wandered around after New York on Sunday. Jennifer Oates said the, the emu ended up in her yard, and since she had previous experience with the birds, she actually helped police chase down the emu and then bring it back to her home. It, she brought it in the house, and it spent the night in her basement. Next uh, to her bear. Yeah. Uh, so the you want to try some bras? The, <laughs> the emu was in, uh, transported to an animal adventure park, uh, and it's not clear where the bird came from. But could you imagine? So they, have a, they have an emu expert? One of those things in your house. Yeah, I guess so. We need you. We need our emu girl. The emu talker. Uh, a man, this is wild, stabbed his nephew four times with a six-inch fillet knife for taking too long in the bathroom. <laughs> wow, man. And claimed that the younger man also made him feel disrespected. I just don't you disrespect don't me. Disrespect. I don't understand the logic here because now you have somebody bleeding out and dying and you don't even get to use the bathroom. You don't point. get to use the bathroom, mm-hmm. right? It's like you didn't think it through, yeah. right? You know? Dan Johnson, who, by the way, is 72 years old, was arrested and charged with aggravated battery with a deadly weapon. I have to make a poop. The victim, Michael Johnson, called 911 to report that he had been stabbed. and that the, the hell are you doing there? The suspect, whom he identified as his uncle, was still in the house. He said, hello, I've been stabbed three or four times. He was breathing heavily in apparent pain, said, please hurry up. And then uh, Dan Johnson, uh, I'm sorry, Michael and Dan Johnson lived at a home by Michael's father, Willie. When deputies arrived at the home, they found Michael Johnson with stab wounds to his abdomen and lower back. The nephew was airlifted. He's expected to survive. Uh, Investigators said that Michael Johnson 
lived in his vehicle in his father's driveway. And oh, man. He got to sleep in the car, son. Uh, and that his father allowed him to use the bathroom. All right, you can use the bathroom. On Tuesday, he was about to get in the shower. Get when, back in your Prius. When his uncle came banging on the door. The nephew said that his uncle started yelling at him, saying, you need to come out of the bathroom. And you've been in there too long. Michael Johnson said, I just got here. And his uncle continued to bang on the door. The younger Johnson said he wrapped himself in a towel, opened the door, and his uncle started punching him. But the nephew said he then realized his uncle wasn't punching him. He was knifing him and stabbed him. Sometimes that happens. You don't know you're being stabbed. Don't you start with the punching and then threaten the knifing? Uh, he had three stab it's, wounds. It's like skipping to triple dog dare. To the chest and abdomen, one in the lower back. Dan told investigators he had finished working in the yard. Now, this is the Dan Johnson is the uncle. the guy. Yeah, who's Willie? He's the dad. He's not there. <laughs> All right, so Dan, <laughs> the uncle, told investigators he had finished working in the yard, right. had a beer, yeah. and was ready to take a shower, but found the bathroom occupied. He left, returned 15 minutes later, found the facility still occupied, so he knocked on the door. He said his nephew opened the door and, quote, buffed up at him. He buffed up at him. Let's dare you. Wait a second. What Were you, you buffing at me? You son of a bitch. We're you getting doing? all buffed up at me. Getting all swole in front of my face. A report states that although Michael Johnson didn't take a fighting stance, make verbal threats, or otherwise threaten to attack, Dan Johnson went to his room, mm-hmm. and from his collection of knives... Where's that knife for stabbing family members? <laughs> right here. <laughs> here he goes. Chosen. This one's got, got his name on it. But no, that's Willie's knife. <laughs> that's Sarah's knife. She's she's good girl. I won't ever use that. <laughs> All right, I found it. Found it. I... <laughs> Willie. <laughs> so he 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 went to his room and from his collection of knives, uh, he chose a narrow bladed butcher or fillet knife and walked back to mm. meet his nephew. Let me see here. What one would be good for stabbing through a towel? <laughs> Yeah, I like that blade, but it, I need some the serrated stuff that they caught on the terry cloth. All right, yeah, we'll go with this. Dan said his nephew took a step toward him, so he stabbed him in the stomach twice. This is after he buffed up at him? Well, yeah, well, he buffed up, and then the dude left the room well, I, and went through his knife drawer. He went through his knife drawer. Now, what was happening was that he was buffing, and he figured by stabbing him, he would deflate him. Probably. Yeah. I'm going to debuff you, you bastard. Uh, so police... You've been debuffed, bitch. So he stabbed him in the stomach twice. Police recovered the knife, believed to have been used, which Dan Johnson said he put back in his collection after the stabbing. I, mean, I so- got that special <laughs> container over here for the used knives I still have to clean. Right, there we go. Perfect. <laughs> so he went and cleaned it yeah, off, wiped yeah, it up, right and put, put it back with his collection. Okay. Next to my troll doll. All right. And there he's right next to his troll doll. And that is what I have for you this morning. You think about the think about the lives so many oh people lead in these bizarre file stories. I, you know, I, and I, I knock do. my cigarettes over. So, so you know, stories like that are just. I know. What? I know. That's not a life. Uh, it's it's pretty. It's hard to wrap your mind around. But you would stab a family member Why? for staying in the shower too long. I tend to think that that uh, maybe was the final straw. The final straw. Yeah, I think yeah. that maybe there was some sort of underlying thing. What going if it was on like there? the second straw? <laughs> right. You're not even fully yeah. right. Six straws in. Yeah, you go. Yeah. You go from leaving the toilet seat up to stab them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, to stabbing them. Said so, that boy right. Yeah. All right. Buffing up at me. Buffing up. What's that about? I don't even know what I mean. All right, and there you go. That's your uh, bizarre files. What's new? Glad you asked. The Black Keys. 
Greta Van Fleet. Five Finger Death Punch. New music. More of everything that rocks. On 93.3 WMMR. Our next guest is an accomplished writer and director. A couple little things you may have heard of before, like Loopers and uh, oh, uh, Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. Yeah. Uh, and we are, oh, you want me to play his case? There you go. <laughs> Need a fanfare when we bring somebody on board. Uh, but he is here to promote the film Knives Out, which is star-studded, looks really, really cool. Please welcome writer and director Ryan Johnson. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. Hey, Ryan, how are you? I'm doing great, President. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. We're we're excited about this. Uh, Tremendously. Yeah, we're fans of the the, the murder mystery, the whodunits and all that, and you just don't see them that often. uh, Yeah. This style, in the vein of Agatha Christie and in the vein of, of, you know... uh, uh, 12 Little Indians, Murder on the Orange Express, uh, you know, the Hitchcock, that yeah. sort of stuff. And they're they, when they're done well, there's nothing like them. They just totally bring you in. Yeah, that's my, it's a lot, one of my favorite genres, man. Like, I grew up reading Agatha Christie's books. I grew up Loved reading, them. like, the movies based on them. And it's so much, like, everybody loves a good murder mystery. Like, I mean, a good oh, whodunit, you know? Oh, it's absolutely. Just, yeah, yeah. And it, it, it also is one of the few... That allows for uh, great ensemble work. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You got, like, a rogues gallery of suspects. Yeah. You, the idea with this movie was let's do a star-studded cast. It's kind of, like, old school like that. Let's have it be so, like, everyone who pops up on screen, you're like, oh, it's that person. Yeah. yeah. Let, me, let, me, let me rattle off the names, okay, so, for yeah. those who may not be familiar. Christopher Plummer, Daniel Craig, Chris Evans, Jamie Lee Curtis, Michael Shannon, Tony Collette, Don Johnson, Loved, who's just been doing the, some great the stuff. The Watchmen. Yeah. Uh, Frank Oz, even. Yeah, we got That's Frank in there. Awesome. <laughs> Christopher Plummer. Christopher, the, the great Christopher Plummer. The legend, yeah. Uh, and it's exactly... Also, you get a chance to, uh, with a cast like that, and Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, to, uh, I think... I remember when I first saw the, the original Murder on the Orange Express, you know, and that actually got me reading Agatha Christie. You can high-concept characters a little bit. You, you know Absolutely. what I'm saying? Absolutely, they're 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 just on the verge of caricature. You yeah, can really. And that's I mean that's the thing with this. It's it's a fun movie, and the cast, all of these stars, they just showed up ready to play. And I so love they're having a blast. Lo- you know, I yeah. love Daniel Craig. I love and, I, yeah. and Chris Evans looks to be. <laughs> he's playing a jerk. He's, he's playing, playing a, a real jerk. jerk and savoring. <laughs> Everyone seems to say Michael Shannon is super intense, and yet he he gets to. Oh, to, he's having fun. Daniel having fun. Daniel Craig. If you, I mean, if you just know him from the Bond movies, you would yeah. think he's a really serious, intense guy. He is so much fun in real life. He's like a blast, and he's having a ball in this movie. Love so, it. so what's it like? I would imagine you have scenes where everybody's in it at the same time. Those are my favorite ones. On what's set. that got to be like? That where where in between takes where these people are just kind of oh you know. God. It was got to be fun. It was a party, man. Yeah. And also, I mean, we shot in a house in Massachusetts. It's like in a murder mystery mansion, but we're in like a real house. And so everyone liked each other, and in between takes, people wouldn't, like, go back to their trailers and get on their cell phones. They would all go down in the basement of this house, like, <sighs> around the pool table and That's hang ex- out. exactly what it you was, want. It was like summer camp for movie stars. It was wow. great. It was really fun. So, and I think you can see on screen how much fun everyone's having. The wow. conceit is a, uh, a celebrated uh, writer, mm. uh, 85 years old, I yeah, guess. Plumber, he, yeah. He's having a birthday. The family's a little disenfranchised. He wants to bring them together, reunite them. And in classic fashion, he ends up dead. Yep. And <laughs> and then you have you have your uh, but all the all the all the, the the tropes that should be there are there. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And, 
And right. in a lot of ways, it's very traditional. Yeah, exactly. But then it also throws some curveballs curve at you. And the big thing it does, a lot of times when you see Agatha Christie adaptations, I mean, I love them dearly, but they're they're period pieces. Yeah. This is set today. It's modern. I love that. And oh. all the characters are modern types. And so they're, it's very much updated for 2019. And you, you are, you're, you're inherently, uh, you have a, a good sense of humor and you, you, you see it permeate your, all, all your work. Uh, and I think a lot of times uh, people forget that the original Agatha Christie stuff and the original Hitch- Hitchcock always had a sense of humor. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I remember there's a scene in, in Frenzy, the movie Frenzy, where mm. they're, they're sitting having a meal and the meal is supposed to be analogous to the to – the, and it's just funny. <laughs> and all, all that stuff works. And that, that makes it even more, you know, uh, to see – well, Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Well, and, and Poirot, you know, with oh, Christie's yeah. detective Poirot. When Peter Ustinov, he's my favorite Poirot. I think you're right. Back yeah, in the day, and he got the clownishness of him. There's I a, think Albert Finney was a little hard to understand. I, yeah, yeah, I love him. He's yeah. going all out, man. But yeah. I mean, I love. I think Branagh's Poirot is terrific. Yeah. Ustinov was, and David Suchet is terrific. Uh, Ustinov is my favorite, though. Yeah, and yeah. there's something funny about yeah, it's they're having fun with these characters. Oh yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Steve had mentioned a movie the other day that <clears throat> I loved, and I, I, I run into very few people who remember it but was murdered by death if you oh, remember. Oh god, yeah, of course. It's yeah, such a, yeah. a hilarious movie. Now it's yeah. a little more slapstick, you know. Yeah, yeah, it, it, Neil Simon wrote it. It's like it's his it's more like clue, it's more like a parody. Right. You know? And yeah, he was yeah. a fan. He was a fan of that. So oh, yeah. Yeah, so you know, you uh, your one of your works which I love is uh uh, uh Brick which is mm. uh has been has a Everyone always says a Dashiell Hammett sort of um, vibe to it, uh, with with this sharp dialogue and everything. I mean, th- th- this is great stuff that doesn't get exercised a lot. Yeah, it's fun to go back. To, I mean, I don't know. These are genres that I grew up just like loving, you know. And so the idea is to get the essential pleasure of what everyone loves about them. But then, you know, hopefully throw some stuff at you they haven't seen in them before, too. So it feels a little, you know, it feels like you are also on a ride and you're not quite sure what's going to happen next. And the story written by you? Yeah. And yeah, yeah. so this is a completely original? Yeah, this, this is, is an original who done it, yeah. Okay, so... Do you start at the end and work your way back? <laughs> I actually, I start way zoomed back. I start just thinking about the shape of the whole thing. Okay. So, uh, so, but I need to have that. I need to have the whole thing. I couldn't start writing at the beginning and find my way through. I, right. I need to have the whole shape in my head before I sit I, down. I think you would have to. And, yeah. and, and there's a certain, the, the people who have done it the best, I think, approach it that way. Yeah. Because, um, you know, it, it allows you to keep tagging things on, you know? Uh, yeah, and see and, and MacGuffins and all that. Well, when you get to the end of a good murder mystery, you know, and you have the scene, one of my favorite types of scenes in all of fiction where the detective lays the whole thing out. Yes. Like in the library. Yeah. Yes. Which we, have, we have a really good one of those. <laughs> like, and, and with that, you have to have laid the groundwork because it's only satisfying if you feel like, oh, yeah, that thing. Oh, yeah, if you recognize each of them and it's paying something off. Did you have someone fact check and make sure that... <laughs> What, what you did was legitimate. You know, you know? who was the best at that on set? Chris, uh, Chris Evans. He no would, He would bust my balls. Man. He would come <laughs> up every, in between every take and like, I would just notice this. And then I, every time my heart would clench up because I was like, oh, no, he caught me. And then I realized, oh, no, it's because of this. And I would explain to All him. Right. Say, yeah, okay. I got away with well, that's, it. With that's a sign of a good uh, mystery because yeah, you, you, you check but, out. wait a minute. Yeah, and yeah, no, 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 no. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, I love it. And, I, and the, the critical response has been sensational. And yeah, that's, it, it's got to yeah. make you feel good when you invest time in something you love. Not that it's everything. Yeah, but 
create something. You know, I'll tell you, the, 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 the bigger thing is this is like a movie to be seen with an audience. And the audience is, it's been playing really well. It's been, you know, it gets big laughs and then people are enjoying it. That, that to me, is what's fun. Well, so I'm uh, psyched to show it tonight. You know? Allow me to uh, quote The Hollywood Reporter, which says, an ingeniously plotted, tremendously entertaining, and deviously irreverent crowd pleaser. Uh, well, that's wow. the, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. what you want. Relatively speaking, you're, you're a, a younger filmmaker. You know, God with, with bless the, you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> with, with, the, with the body of work. But, um, you know, we've, we, so obviously we're, we're going to talk about this stuff and the stuff and the Star Wars, uh, um, uh, you know, universe that you're now in. And now you have, you've, um, you have your own trilogy that you're responsible for that that has been in this. If, if I'm not correct, tell me, yeah, uh, so I can start weeping. But uh, <laughs> I, I think uh, you have this potential, uh, this this new universe that you can create from the ground up. That's in the same environment, but removed. Yeah, yeah, it's, that's what's really exciting moving forward because the you know the, the they've said with episode nine that JJ is doing right now, which I'm God, I'm so excited for. I cannot yeah, wait. It looks phenomenal. Oh God, that trailer just knocked me out. So uh, I mean, that's going to be. They've said over and over this is going to be the end of kind of this era of the movies. Of and I think movie. it's time, honestly. I I, mm. I love I, I love. And I love every even the, yeah. the second trilogy, the Lucas trilogy. Certainly, there are issues. Perhaps you've heard some of the buzz about what, <laughs> what, what fans think. I, I think I, I commend you for for taking on something like that because you're damned if you do and oh, damned I, if you don't. I love the fans so much. <laughs> I, mean, I am a fan. I grew, yeah. That's a thing. I grew up as a Star Wars fan, and so all of the passion for it. I, I was in my twenties when the prequels came out. So both sides of the passion for Star Wars, I've sure. been plugged into always, and, I, I, and I that's just, what's great about it. You know? I commend you for agreeing to do it, like. Mm-hmm. Because you're such a fan, you're like, yeah. w- did you ever, was there ever a thought of like, no, I can't do this? No, I don't, I mean, it, it's just something that's so deep. You know, everyone is a Star Wars fan who like, you went, when, that, when those first movies came out, if you're mm-hmm. like, if you're like my age, like you can't, you saw them when you were like five and six. It's so deep in your bones. It's mm-hmm. something you love so dearly. And also the people who make these movies, and the producers and everything and the talent, they're just the best people on the planet, and everyone is just working from such a pure place of love for what this thing is, you know. And so, no, man, I couldn't, you know. That, that, you had to. I, I, you like, had to let that purity guide, you know, at least you could have control over it. the only thing you can yeah. do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just follow kind of, you know, what you want to do. So I want to ask you about uh, ownership of movies, because people take the um, Star Wars universe very seriously. And, and I'm a Star Wars nerd uh, through and through, yeah. um, but people also confuse opinions and facts all the time. <laughs> and, and it bothers me, because if you have an opinion on a movie, that's not necessarily a fact about that movie. <laughs> but people state them as if they are. Yeah. And and I loved Last Jedi. Oh, there are so many that. layers to it that I, I think people are misunderstood, or they walked out of the theater with uh, an opinion and it's fine for them to have their opinion too mm. but um what what's your take on uh on on blowback or criticism or whatever do, do, does it bother you does it stick with you or, or how do you interpret it well like i said i gotta come at it from again the perspective of being a star wars fan my whole life and realizing that the passion for it, it it's there are two sides to that you know the passion's going to land one way for some and if you don't like something that passion's going to apply back the other way and there's no use there's no, you know, you, you can't have one without the other, I guess. You know, people feel strongly about this stuff because they care about it so deeply. And people are going to respond to different things. Every fan is looking for something slightly different from a Star Wars movie. There's nothing that's going to stand And that's, like, that's the general, I, I yeah. was in the theater on opening night for the original Star Wars because I'm an old bastard. <laughs> and and I read the paperback book that was wow. that, that before yeah, the movie yeah, yeah. came out. That yeah. had scenes that were not even shot for the movie. Sure. It's from Lucas's screenplay. Yeah. And the movie 
movie was always intended to be a fun homage to the movie serials. Yeah, it's Buck Rogers. And yeah. that's it. Yeah, yeah man. And, and it was supposed to be loving and fun. Yeah. But then, as it as its own myth starts, <laughs> almost started to weigh it down, yeah. and people lost sight of, just go have a good time. Well, also, but the thing is, though, I feel like there is always an um because it's it, it was that, but then, you know, with Empire, it dug a little bit deeper into the mythic and stuff. And, and it, that's one of the, uh, you know. That was a fish hook that, yeah. like, got us all, you know. Empire really shook it up from A New Hope in every single way. I mean, not just the big I Am Your Father twist, but tonally and also yeah. in terms of how deep it went in terms of digging into that kind of deeper myth- mythological stuff, you know, the psychological stuff. So, so and a classic you, second act. Yeah. Oh, my God. It doesn't 100%. end happy. And, mm-hmm. does, and, yeah. and really turns everything up on onto its head and then in a way that can be really satisfyingly resolved in the third yeah. one. Yeah. You see where I'm going with that. Yes. Yeah. Well, you, uh, you, uh, you, you did some things in this movie that, um, that we hadn't seen in any of the previous eight, yeah. mo- or I'm sorry, seven movies, I should say. Yeah. Um, and one of them was using light light speed as a weapon. Yeah. Um, which well, although the, fir- the first, I mean, in A New Hope, the first time they talk about light speed, what, what, what's the context they're talking about? And they're talking about know. you got to do your calculations right, yeah. or you'll run into something, yep. and then it'll be a big mess. But the blowback on that, and you know, the fans are like, well, oh, I you- never quite understood that because the thing is, it's they that was the context that it was introduced in. So you, it's you not like hit- it physically can't happen. So the only argument I've really heard is we don't want to think about the fact that it can't can. not happen because that complicates yeah. how, Wait, how you, we have to think about war in this world. You would have to make calculations and you had like shields yeah. and things to exactly for that. But I mean, it's your it's your toy. You'd run with yeah, it. Right. You know? yeah. Yeah, no, that yeah. It's like, know. because, no, 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 no. What, so, the, so the eight foot talking carpet, that's real? Yeah. <laughs> Relax! Just well, to, I mean, it has to make sense within the context of the world. And I, like, yeah, you're but, right. I, but I feel like, you know, that that I can stand behind. You know? No, it was, a, it, was a, it was a mother effort of a scene. Yeah, that scene. Yeah, yeah. Come on. And yeah, the effects and all it was great. If you're just tuning in, it's uh, Ryan Johnson who's here, writer and director. Knives Out is in theaters. Um, speaking of fans, real quick, and I know you guys all have questions. Everybody's got their hands raised here. <laughs> but uh, as uh, now, I haven't gone back and watched uh, The Last Jedi in a little while. But is that, uh, I-, I think fans had a bunch of fun with the fight scene where uh, Kylo and and Ray, uh, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, they used the different pieces of music. Mm. Did you just happen to yeah, see those? Yeah, that was really fun. Everyone started remixing it to different songs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Nick Murphy, who I introduced you to. Yeah. He did a whole... Uh, he did like a dozen of them. He did a whole album. I've uh, like <laughs> some like some funny ones and some other ones that like, you know, totally, absolutely made sense. I but love it. I think, I think he might even use Firework from uh, Katy Perry. Yeah. So, that's great. That's great. Awesome. I totally see that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a blast. Man. You, you gotta love that fans are having Well, that's what, that. I mean, they take it and they make it their own, whether it's that or fan fiction or fan art or, you know, people just take this stuff so personally. That's mm-hmm. what's great about it. You know? In uh, A New Hope... Um, Luke meets Leia via a hologram, and in the Last Jedi, Luke says goodbye to Leia via a hologram. Was that your idea? Yeah, yeah, man. You got. I mean, the, the symmetry. You know, you're always looking for symmetry. Wow. If you can hit that sweet spot with symmetry, so that even if you don't, you know, the first time you watch a movie, you aren't thinking of it in those terms. When you step back and take a look at the whole thing laid out, you're like, oh, this rhymes with this, and this it bookends this. Especially with something like the like Star Wars, you're always searching for those, you know, those things to lay in there. Thank you for answering questions about it because I know you're yeah. here to, to talk about Knives Out, and, ah, and so, but and, and I, I can't wait to see that movie as well. But I, I, I well, we have a director of one of the Star Wars movies I in love the studio. About Star Wars, we, love, we lavish love, love on on uh, on uh, Knives Out as well. But I yeah. also have to ask you, as a, a Looper is a is an amazing film, and it oh, also thanks. speaks to your ability to add 
remember watching that and go, well, this is a really cool conceit. I'm thinking of, like, has a uh, uh, Harlan Ellison, Philip K. Dick sort of vibe to it. It's cool. It's jumping around. And then it gets you emotionally, too. And, you know, when you're and and that's something that I think when you can do that in all and all this stuff where you, you know, you can go down one path ah, and and phone it in. And then it becomes something where where it just it gets you, you know, viscerally with with the kid and, and what 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 his future will be mm. and how you how things have to be right that to me was just such an amazing end i don't want to give it away if you've never seen it you need to see luber <laughs> but uh working with bruce willis and working with joseph gordon levitt who you worked with in in uh, brick as well uh you know you start to build an ensemble of people you go to you know mm, and yeah. and uh um there, there are people that are comfortable. Who, who, who do you consider your your go to? You know, people now. Well, I haven't worked with him for a few movies, but Joe Gordon Levitt is, yeah. is one of my good he's friends. Awesome, he's, he's so good, man. Yeah. He's, he's such a good person. You know, he's such a lovely, wonderful guy. And uh, I, I, I managed even this is a Last Jedi. Uh, he wasn't. We got him in there as a voice, alien voice. Okay, Nine, I was Knives Out. We had to get him in there as a voice too. Oh, that's great. Wasn't available, so you keep your ears peeled. He's in there. So right. you guys are friends. Yeah, we're buddies. Okay, because yeah. he, he's in a scene of a movie. It's one of my favorite mo- theatrical scenes ever, and it's a it's a movie called uh, Five Hundred Days of Summer. Oh yeah, and it's when Good. the Hall and Oates song comes on. <laughs> I, you know, it, to me, I just and there's a Han Solo there thing in it as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I I would love to meet that guy. He's he is a good friend He's of a yours. Sweetheart, man, he is so cool. Will yeah, you tell we, him so, that I love him. Uh, <laughs> let's call him right now. Let's get him on speaker. Yeah, sure. Whenever I hear that song, I bounce around like he does when he's walking down the street. Like I want to do yes. what he did in yeah. that movie. <laughs> yeah, no, he's a yeah. We made. The very first movie I made was called Brick. It was like a weird, like high school noir, and I've he, heard was, that he was in it twice today. I haven't seen it. Oh well. Oh, yeah, did you shoot was... that at the high school you went to? I did. Yeah, yeah. I shot at San Clemente High School down in Orange County. That's um, wild. Yeah, yeah. It's, That's got to be cool to come back with a film crew to the school that you. It was cool, but we yeah. were really low budget. We were like micro budget with that movie. Still. So I think we were more annoying yeah. to them. <laughs> I'm surprised that we they didn't kick us out before right. we were done filming. Well, yeah. Knives Out, honestly, is is I, I, I cannot wait to see it. Uh, it, it, yes. it, it looks phenomenal, and and uh, um, so I assume. Have you done the full premiere route yet, or uh, is where this is one cog in the premiere? Well, cycle? you yeah, Philly is not a cog. Well, I know. This is the main uh, yes. engine of the, <laughs> the whole tour. Thank you for saying that. The, yeah, we we premiered in Toronto, and yeah. we I, I just came from the Chicago Film Festival, and we're and we're here tonight, and uh, I'm psyched to see it with every. Like I said, man, this is a. This is a crowd movie. This is a yeah. crowd-pleasing movie. It's so much fun to be in the theater when a big crowd is watching this. Love I'm it. Love it. Can I ask yeah. what the title refers to, or is it a plot point that we need to wait for? No, or? it's, I mean, sort of, there are knives in it, but it's, it's I mean, the, the, same, radio, the Radiohead song yeah. is is what I, I it kind oh. of stuck it in my head years ago. You know, on huh. Amnesiac, I think it's on, Knives Out. Okay. And so that phrase just always seemed like a cool turn of phrase to me. It seemed like a good murder it, mystery. It title. always, well, it always, it, to me, it always, it always indicates. And the knives are out your, you. Knives are yeah. out. Your knives are, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Somebody's got it. Yeah, which I, which definitely applies to the family in this movie. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Can I jump in real quick? I just want to ask you because I know that you you do have your fingerprint on the the Breaking Bad universe, mm-hmm. and you uh, directed a couple of um, episodes of the final season. Yeah. I watched El Camino, and then I was like, oh, God, i got to go back and watch the final two seasons. So I did that, and then I watched El Camino again. So, so you directed Ozymandias, yeah. and i got to ask, is that the episode where Walt calls Skyler and has a phone conversation with her? Yeah. That is, like, some of the finest acting I've ever witnessed in my entire life because he is um, saying things to her. Mm. Um, Without saying them. With, with, but he's also on, on, like, so what you're hearing through the phone is what he's saying, 
but emotionally, he's not saying those words. And, yeah. like, so can you explain that better I, than what I, I mean, just said? No, you put it just beautifully, man. Okay. And Cranston, I mean, that's the explanation. It's one word. It's Cranston. <laughs> that dude is just... Cranston. Really so you didn't have, a, you didn't yeah. have anything yeah. to do with that? No, man. No, yeah. honestly, I, you know, you show up and you do, you know, you do your work as a director, which is on set to be an audience for the actor, you know? And yeah. so you watch it. If you feel something, you say it to them. If you feel, you know, try this, try that. The truth is, though, especially at Breaking Bad, I mean, the writing is so good, you know, the, those actors, as a director, it makes your job so easy. You yeah. have to show up on set and just, like, roll with it and try and maximize it. You know? Real quick, how many takes for that particular scene? I don't know. I think it was it was, it was freezing that night, so okay. probably, I don't think many. <laughs> I think we, I think it was maybe three or four, you it know. Was, it, and then, and then uh, Anna Gunn, you know, okay. Skyler's side of the call, it's interesting because, you know, I remember... With uh, Yoda, you know, with Mark and Frank Oz, Mark Hamill and Frank Oz. Yeah. Um, Frank telling me, you know, everyone talks about the expressiveness of the puppet and the performance of Yoda. And he said 90% of it is Mark believing, you know, listening. Yeah, yeah. And, and, I can believe that. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's a weird analogy. But, but what Anna is doing on the other side, the amount of that call where we're on her face and hearing her realize what her husband is doing mm -hmm. that's you know that's as much of the scene as okay that. and for that was she <clears throat> was she in the next room was she actually doing it or he was, was you I doing mean, a playback or? no we had him there so he was obviously we shot them completely separately but then we have both and it, vice versa she was on set kind of on the phone with him there did one uh, for his side of it and okay. then we were in the house shooting is a totally different day but he was there for her side of it so they were both there for each other okay that's yeah. wild so it's yeah. great. Wild. And by the way, you should probably put some ointment on those fanboy burns you just got. Yeah. <laughs> those could get infected. That's all right. I'm scabbed. I'm scabbed over. It's all right. I got the scabs. All right. Thank you very much, Ryan Johnson. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks for Thank coming you. by. I appreciate it. As the year draws to a close, 93.3 WMMR looks back at everything that rocked 2019 with our top 25 songs of the year countdown. Vote for your favorites now at WMMR.com. Then catch it New Year's Eve starting at 7 p.m. on 93.3 WMMR. Everything that rocks. This is from Men's Health Magazine. They did this a little while back, but I don't think we ever explored this. It is the 47 Sylvester Stallone movies ranked from worst to best. Worst to best, 47 yeah. Stallone movies. And now it's a lot. Listen, we, we've we said it. We're massive Stallone fans, and, and he is, I think he's on a, uh, a tear with his uh, capabilities lately, and he's, you know, he's just turning out great stuff. But even he and he's, what we love about him is that he's candid and admits his own failures and his... Yours have been pretty staggering. Mm -hmm. Some of his best movies are probably not going to be on, well, according to me, you know, on I, the top five of his this list. Okay. Because well, I, I do like the crappy well, movies. Well, listen, I'm looking at this list. There's a lot of movies here, yeah. 47, mm -hmm. and some of these I've never heard of. Okay. All right. So let me let me roll through a few. Some If we're going to get to all these, we're going to have to move fairly quickly. All right, let's go. Um, get Carter. Which came out in 2000. Right. I, I do remember that. That's a uh, remake. Uh, it was him and uh, Michael Caine. Yeah. Was uh, he I like guess. a hitman or something like that? I don't remember. Or, he yeah. was teaching Michael Caine English. Uh, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, number 46 is Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. We know that one. with, was with uh, Estelle Getty, right? Yeah, yeah. 
Horrible. Uh, number 45, Rhinestone. Rhinestone. It, we, Terrible. Oh, you listen to the show, you know Rhinestone. Yeah, Drinkenstein. Drinkenstein. Yeah. And they call him a Drinkenstein. 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 It's transformation every day. That's why they call him a Drinkenstein. Yeah. Uh, so that is that's number forty five on the list. Yeah, it goes away. Are you looking for drinking? Uh, yeah, Nancy? you know what? There it is. is a cab driver. Yeah, click it's it. a basically a pig. you created a monster, and they call him Drinking Stein. Stein. In the tavern, he was doing that on purpose. Obviously, where he makes the transformation all the time. Dear God. It's just a The problem is movie. all of this was done on purpose. Uh, number 44, Oscar. Yeah. I've uh, never long. watched it. Dude, that was just on not that long ago. It was on maybe a month ago. He's, he's wealthy, right? He's yeah. wealthy, yeah. and but he's kind of like a... Like it's a period a piece. Gangster or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think is Marissa Tomei in that? I yeah, think that's so, her, yeah, yeah. We were looking at a video, yeah. Uh, then we have Capone. Capone, who's, you know who's in Capone? Um, no. God, so he, he's... From 1975. I, I, it, it's with Ben Gazzara. I believe okay. Ben Gazzara plays Capone, and he's Capone's... Well, he was there getting syphilis. We were climbing up the ladder below him. Okay. And that's how he took over Capone. Okay. Frank Nitti, he played in this I played one. Frank Nitti. And you know what the new mascot for the Flyers is called? What? Gritty. Oh, so Frank Nitty knows Gritty. gritty, You see? Yeah. In the city. In the city. Uh Uh-huh. So the girls are so pretty. (laughs) (laughs) You're awful. You're very witty. (laughs) Thank you. God, this is really shit. Oh, yo. You can't say it. Uh, Capone was 43. 42, No Place to Hide. Came out in 1973. Don't know that movie. No. Do you know it? No. I think no. That kind of mine. Uh, number 41 is The Expendables 3. I'm a sucker for The Expendables. I've they're, never seen any of them. They're the first um the first couple are are, are uh, the first number 1 and number 2. It's all these action stars, Schwarzenegger and Dolph Lundgren and Jason mm-hmm. Statham and either you buy into it and enjoy it or you don't. He's in all of them though, right? He, he's the writer and uh, director. Alright, so this is like the, the worst of the of the three. It's the worst of the expendables. Okay. Uh, number four. <laughs> <laughs> number 40 was Lock Up. Lock Up is, uh, yeah, that's where he uh, that's where I <laughs> I've held uh, illegally and I'm a good prisoner, but um, oh, okay. I have to survive because I'm in lockup. Uh, is the jail underwater? No, no, that's underwater. Well, one with Schwarzenegger. Is that the one I'm thinking of? Maybe I'm thinking of a different one. Maybe right. you're right, and I'm wrong. Uh, was Maybe not- you think about it right, and I'm thinking about it wrong. Oh, it's, no, I was right. It's the one, it's the one I love Donald. it when he gets pissed off. Donald Sutherland. Yeah. Okay. It came out in 1989. Was Donald yeah. Southern the, the warden? He was a bad warden. Evil warden, yeah. He was also an animal house. He was. <laughs> yeah, he was. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. I, I just can't presume you know that. Okay. Were you thinking about daylight, Casey? Mm, that's well, the escape from the tunnel. Yeah. Let, let me move on. No, we'll we'll it, get to that it, one. It, oh, that's uh, the hiding tunnel. <laughs> uh, number 39 is Avenging Angelo. Avenging Angelo. Angelo? 
I'm going to avenge you. Uh, that came out in 2002. I, I don't, don't remember, remember Avenging I, Angelo. No, uh-uh. Unofficial sequel to Lockup. How about this one, Steve? These are all of Stallone's movies, yeah, right? From worst going. to best. Number 38, The Party at Kitty and Studs. <laughs> the Party at Kitty and Studs. That was his porn movie. Remember, oh, he was the, he was listed as now after it was released after Rocky they recut the credits and he was listed as the Italian stallion in yep. the credits. Yep, yep, yep. Correct. Because and there's you, you see full dong shot says there's no hardcore action which makes it less interesting than one might hope. He was uh, des- my penis. He was desperate for rent money. Yeah. Uh, but the party at Kitty and Studs came out in 1970. Oddly enough. I mean, that beat out movies like Inspe- Expendables 3 and no. Capone and this, Oscar. No, this is inverted. But let's keep going. It's it's a walk down memory lane. But you know what? A fun fact. You want a fun fact? I do. Fun All fact. Right. I use the money from Kitty and Studs to uh, help finance the writing of Rocky. Well, that's a good thing. And then number 37, Rocky Five came in. Okay. Yeah, now the worst of the Rockies by yeah. far. Yeah, yeah no question cool. about it. It's it's poor. It's like, like a said, billion horrible movies. It's like you said, Steve. They made him virtually brain dead yeah, in the movie. They honestly. Made him, they made him so staggeringly stupid. They should have had him just Talia Shire feeding him soft food with a spoon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right. sorry. Like, 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 what was that? More, more applesauce. <laughs> <laughs> your face looks horrible when you do. <laughs> like dabbing the foot, I got some on my chin. Oh my god! Rocky. Well, That's where we, we got this. We just come up on the roof. Who is there and crash? What do you think it is? Do I hear reindeer on my roof? You know. That's him oh, hitting her. Yeah. Rantlers. <laughs> Unbelievable. You ruined it. Wait! Look who's he hits Adrian in the face. Yeah, you're ruining it. You you giving it away. Santa. Hey, right. I had it all rotted out. <laughs> Stupid, <laughs> dumb bitch. Oh, will you? Hey, you know, what would you? You know? Oh, whoa! Hey, hey. ho, ho. ho. <laughs> you can hear clearly the answer. Play it back for me again. I can't believe we'll just come up on the roof, will you? He just landed there and crashed. And what who do you think it is? Do I hear reindeer on my roof? <laughs> you know, Shut up! Backhanded her. <laughs> that movie practiced this. You ruined it. <laughs> they actually practiced it. <laughs> jumped, jumped into her. You're so stupid. All right, take two. Yo, Adrian, I can't believe we'll just come up on the roof, will you? Hey, you know, he just landed there and crashed, and what, who do you think it is? Do I hear reindeer on my roof? <laughs> you know, God damn it! <laughs> is, is it this? I go, there's a billion, billion, and then he says, is that someone here on the roof? You're coming in on the downbeat. Okay. Rocky Five is at 37. Number 36 is Reach Me, which came out in 2014. I have no idea. Uh, it came out in 2014? Yeah. Kira Sedgwick, uh, Terry Crews, Danny Trejo, Kelsey Grammer, and Sly are all in this movie. You know, sometimes these movies do... I, I will. We will receive these promotional movies yeah, here. Yeah, you read the video. And you'll look at it and you'll go... Uh, I mean, you know, 
a big name actor, you'd be yeah. like, De Niro did a movie? Yeah. With I've never heard of this They're before. They're called tax write-offs. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Reach Me was number 36. Then you had Paradise Alley. That yeah. is right after the success of Rocky. He did this movie with Armando Sante, and it was a uh, took place in, like, the 20s, and it's, it's uh, re- like, street wrestling, and he ha- it was sort of like a, of mice and men. He had a super big brother who wrestled. Do you remember this? No. And he was sort of the uh, the schemer. Okay. Uh, and he sings... <laughs> He sings a theme song. You remember that? Nope. He goes, Paradise. Oh, my we God. Have it. Oh, you mean the actual th- the yes. theme song to Sly, the film that I'm talking about? Sly wanted to be a singer, too, which is partially why he did uh, uh, Rhinestone as well, because he yeah. actually, at, near the end, he actually starts singing. But, but he was wrong. Uh, it was 1978 that that came out, Paradise Alley. Uh, number 34 is Driven, the Formula One racing. Oh, yeah. It was... I never really saw it. I saw scenes from it, but it looked really cheesy. It was 2001 that that came out. I don't uh, know if I ever saw it. Number 33 is Rambo First Blood Part 2. No! <laughs> no! That's top five <laughs> for me! Thank you! Thank you very It's a junk food movie. I, I enjoy it. Uh, yeah, but it's, uh, you know. You know what? It's, it's way over, over the, the top. top. It's yeah. completely over the top, but it built a... Over yeah. the top has to be on yeah, there, too, But way. that's what I'm saying. Over the top exactly. is Exactly. I'll uh, tell you what, though. Uh, well, Ram, the movie Rambo itself, one of my favorites. Uh, the very, uh, yeah, First yeah. Blood. Dude. Rambo yeah. and Rambo, and there's Rambo yeah. First Blood. I liked First Blood, uh, the very first Rambo movie uh, of all those, the right. best. No but question. The, the Rambo, just no First Blood. Which is the most reason is yep. really incredible. Uh, so that was uh, 33, KCS. But they have Rambo 3 above this? The one where he goes to the Middle East? I don't know. I know. Okay. Let's, let's Wait, find out. It was the Mujahideen? Yeah. The is over! It's over! Uh, number 32 is The Specialist. Yeah. Uh, this came out in 1994. It's about a neurosurgeon. No. <laughs> We're going to have to remove your head. You can't. You will kill the parent. <laughs> Who's the doctor here? Are you wearing a stethoscope? What? I, I'm what? wearing what? Are you a stethoscope. <laughs> what is that again? Stethoscope. Is <laughs> the thing you stick in your ears. It's got a mirror on the end. <laughs> no, that's... Uh, what is that? You put that on the chest and... Oh, uh, I've been shaving it. Okay. <laughs> Not a very good neurosurgeon. Shut up. <laughs> uh, Stallone and, and Sharon Stone were in that together. It was 1994. All right, here's another one I don't remember. Ratchet and Clank. Uh, I do remember that. Now, there was a video game series named Ratchet yeah. and Clank. Yeah, yeah, okay. This came out two years ago. Hmm. Yeah. Is the, it animated? It's the, animated. It says the kid-friendly adaptation of a beloved video game is charming and diverting enough, but also instantly forgettable. Uh, number 30 is Judge Dredd. Judge, now, the version of uh, Judge Dredd that's, I can't believe I'm having the brain fart. The uh, Carl Dredd. Yeah. is so good. It's exactly what you wanted it to be. It's His version of Judge Dredd is a junk food movie. Mm-hmm. I still kind of enjoy it. But Dread is the one you want to see. By the way, we may not finish this list today. God uh, damn it. There's, there's still 30 movies left on there. A lot of movies. I yeah. made time. You made a lot of movies. You made a lot of movies. Yeah. Yeah. With still a lot of reefer. Yeah. <laughs> Judge Dread came out in 1995. What, Casey? Uh, no, I made time. <clears throat> oh, you made time? I made okay. time. All right. Uh, number 29 is Escape Plan. That's yeah. the one I was thinking that's of. That's it. Yes. And that's... 
It's not. It's junk food, but yeah. it's not bad. Well, we're, they, getting, we're getting closer to the top. Here, we're getting so. closer to the top of the yeah. top. They made, to the crib. They yeah. made several escape plans. In fact, another one's coming out this year. Escape uh, Plan 3, The Extractors. Yeah. All right, let me move on. So uh, that came out in 2013. Uh, number twenty eight is Grudge Match. Oh, the boxing movie where he oh. and, is it? He and uh, him and De Niro. De Niro. Yeah, it's actually not bad. Yeah. I never saw it. Was it's it actually, not bad? It's not great. <clears throat> it's there are moments. There's the fact you have De Niro who's raging bull against you know Rocky. You know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I, I mean, I I probably was. It's probably worse than I thought it was when oh I watched God. it, but I kind of enjoyed it. How silly is that that I never even put that together? Rocky against Raging Bull. Yeah, I never. Yeah. Even, I even considered that because I never considered watching the movie. <laughs> uh, but Grudge Match was in 2013. It's number 28. Number 27 is Assassins. Assassins. Is that with Sharon Stone? <laughs> <laughs> Antonio Banderas was in it. I don't know if Sharon Stone was. No, she was in the uh, the specialist. Yeah, she was in the other one. All right, yeah. 1995. That, stop for my specialist was shoot. Oh, so th- this came out in 19... 19- <laughs> right. It's the number 27. Then at number 26 is Bullet to the Head. Yeah, I remember this. Um, this is like a John Woo type movie. Woo! Okay. Uh, it's he was Hitman Jimmy Bobo. Uh, my name is Jimmy Bobo. Uh huh. And uh, and this is my sister Dumbo. Okay. And it says that he he maintains the same cool demeanor as he ever did and delivers a surprising amount of emotion. Unfortunately, the plot is a disaster. Uh, but the director Walter Hill does pull off an impress impressive set pieces. It says yes, it's very impressive. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, how about this? Uh, number 25 in 2002 was I See You. I See You. As in e- an optometrist. As in E-Y-E. Yeah, it's oh. spelled I See You. Yeah. Uh, it's this failed thriller. It was about an FBI agent suffering from PTSD who has to put aside his trauma to nab a serial killer, nevertheless delivers some satisfying jolts. Yeah, it's very satisfying. This is from uh, Men's Health Magazine, if you're just tuning in. Uh, all 47... Sylvester Stallone movies ranked from worst to best, according to Men's Health. Yeah. Uh, number 24, The Expendables, the original one. I enjoy it. In 2010. Uh, you, you, for well, anybody who went through the process of, of you know being into all those action movies, mm-hmm. and when you're talking about the, in the years of the Chuck Norris films and all of these things, you have all the guys who are involved in that stuff together, and it's fun. Uh, then after that is number 23, Daylight. Daylight is the uh, is the one in the tunnel. In the Holland Tunnel. The Highland Tunnel. That is correct. They need to, to get <laughs> but it's out. it's not in Holland. Fun fact. Yeah. Fun fact? Yeah. It's in New York City. It's in New York City. Uh, and it's, hey, it starts leaking. The, yeah, they were, they were in the Holland Tunnel. Before. And we get wet. They were trapped. It was caved in by a massive explosion. And, uh, yeah, that's the story behind but, that one. It works out okay. Now, let me ask you, Sly, if you think The Expendables 2 was better than the original Expendables, because that came in ahead of it. I sort of do. At number 22. Okay, then I fair I sort of do. You sort of <laughs> do. Yeah. Lorna Dune? I Lorna Dune. <laughs> Which is a hoity-toity cookie. Yes. <laughs> that came out in 2012. 21 is Cliffhanger. Cliffhangers are junk food. Uh, you know, it's it's the classic. He's up. Where are they in the in the Andes? And he's in a wife beater. The Dolomites in Italy, right? Yeah, I love it's it. Right, Dolomite, like the black exploitation <laughs> star. Uh, I, I don't remember that. John Lithgow is the Middle evil Middle. guy, and the, yeah. and uh, who's from Twin Peaks? The uh, the real the the, the uh, not Twin Peaks from uh, Northern Exposure. Yeah, Janine Turner. Janine it's got Turner. Rooker's in it. I think it was shot in the Dolomites, but uh, it maybe was. It took place in it the was Robins. Shot in the in the termites. 
again, like all of these, not as good as Rainbow Two, man. Okay, First Blood Part Two. Dave Danger. It was a it was the box office success. When's the last time you watched uh, Rambo Two? Has it mm. been within the past mm. few years? I'm just wondering if it stands up to your. Uh, you know what, Press? Maybe I should go back and, and watch it. Maybe some of it's nostalgia. It's probably you know, nostalgic. I, I smoked a cigarette for the first time in that theater. Well, that makes okay. big difference. Yeah, in big the time. theater? In the theater. While the, in the, while the movie was going on? Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Me and, okay. me and It was Patrick. a different time. <laughs> it was. Uh, all right, so cliffhanger, that, that's 2120, is Fist. Fist. That's the uh, where he's, I'm, I'm basically playing um, the mob, uh, Jimmy Hoffa. Okay. I'm, bas- I'm basically playing Jimmy Hoffa. Uh, that came out in 1978. Uh, and that was, uh, it's not bad. Okay. And then uh, number 19 is Cobra. Cobra is wow. a horrible movie. No. It's it, I, it's rare that I can say, because uh, I will watch the biggest crap. It doesn't matter. I love crappy movies. Cobra is so bad. That's where he's thinking. You're that way. You're the disease and I'm the cure. Yeah. And there's the guy who has a super wide neck, and he bangs hammers together. The <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the sunglasses, right. the matchstick in the mouth, and of course, and it's the tower power. You know who's uh, the the who played Red Sonja? Bridget Nielsen. Bridget Nielsen. Um, <laughs> yeah, they ended up together for a little while. Got married. You did get married. I did wow? She's you wouldn't mind marrying me much. You like this toothpick in my mouth? Yeah. It made me look tough, doesn't it? And, and you know what? You can clean your teeth with it, too. But he had the, uh, no, it wasn't a toothpick. It was a match. Was a match. That's why I kept sitting up there. Okay. <laughs> but, yeah, it was it was the sunglasses, the yeah. match stand. At night, even. And the car. Like, just like Corey Hart. Uh, and, of it was course, te- spoiler alert, the match is used for the climactic moment at the right. end of the movie. Yeah, yeah you're the foreshadowing. Yeah. You're the roto, I'm the rooter. <laughs> I'm sorry, that, that movie was terrifying at points. I it was it terrifying so. that I was at it. Yeah. Well, the, the bad dude, the evil guy was freaking... Had a big face, yeah. big neck, and he had hammers. What else? And he had hammers. And he would clink them together, and everybody would go, yeah. Nick, could you figure find out what else that guy was in? Because he's, he's been in other movies. He was in, yeah. yeah, he was in Pitch Perfect. Well, he really <laughs> wasn't. I think those well, were axes, by the way, not hammers. Were they? Yeah. Look like uh, hammers to me. Which Gonz- guy was it? Was he Gonzalez? Was that the bad guy? Uh, Renny Santoni? No. no, not him. Hold on, not him. We got to fish around on. That's uh, him, Big Necky Kaleki. Um, Night Slasher, Brian Thompson. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yes. that's him. Yeah. yeah, he was in a number of movies. He was in Joe Dirt. Yeah. Uh, Mortal Kombat Annihilation yeah. and Dragonheart. So maybe he wasn't in as many things as I thought he was in, <laughs> but he still works today. Absolutely. Yeah. For pizza. <laughs> no. He's still acting. Really? Yeah. But but didn't he did he have the knife with the spikes on the handle part? Yeah, of it? Yeah, 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 yeah. And remember they were all that they had made it there was a cop that they were all they were there was this cult was entrenched deeply. Even some of the police were yes. members of the cult. Yep. Yeah. She right. was scary looking. Very, Very scary. Bang hammers together. Here's the disease and the cure. Uh number eighteen is shade. Shade. Don't Hunter. remember Shade. Came out in 2003. It's about card sharks. You're the son and the shade. <laughs> no, it's about card sharks. Uh, the, the TV game show? The old game show. He was the Beverly host. card sharks. That's yeah. your host. <laughs> and what do we have for him today? You want to use black turtle wax? <laughs> Thank you for being part of the game. Now, may you tell me an interesting story. You come from Cincinnati. It turns out your son is with vaudeville shacks, right? 
He spins, spins dishes on a stick. <laughs> he spins dishes on a stick? Yeah, it's a funny story. Well, okay. Anyway, back to the game. Card okay. Sharks. All right. Fine. All right. Let's get the, uh, let's go to the bonus round now. Okay, quite good. By the way, you remember, if you lose, I kill you with a machine gun. That <laughs> big guy with the thick neck come out and beat you to death with a hammer. <laughs> I like to get my friends jobs. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, um, you're the contestant. I'm the host. Uh... <laughs> It starred Jamie Foxx, Melanie Griffith, uh, Gabriel Byrne, and Sandy Newton. Sandy. Mm, no. Fan- Sandy? Sandy. Sandy. Not not Sandy, but Sandy. Sandy. Yeah. Yeah. Sandy's up next on that's right. uh, Card Sharks. Okay, so that's number 18. Then you had number 17 was Rambo. Match game. No, Rambo 3. Casey? Yeah. I, no. Okay. Rambo okay. 3 is the is the bombs on the end of the arrows, right? Listen to me. In Rambo 2, he blows a guy up with an arrow. All right. That's it. So that's yes. in two. Yeah. Right. And then he also hides in a mud wall. A mud wall. The mud wall. Mm-hmm. The Asian chick that uh, was the love interest, she was cute, man. What is a spendable? Is yeah. this, uh, is, that, is that the one where he grabs the mic and goes, I'm coming to get you. Yes, Murdoch. Murdoch. Get you. Yeah. And we're also doing a black of Floyd. <laughs> I'm coming to get you. You're a jock. That's right. I didn't know. 61 degrees of the chest. <laughs> Don't forget. Song of the day at 3 o'clock. Smash or crash? Smash or crash. Oh, my God. I want what they want. And every other guy who came over here just built his gut and gave everything he had once for our country to love us. As much as we love it. Okay. That's from three? All right. That's two. Oh, okay. That's two. Okay, so... Uh, a new one from Muse. <laughs> double right? shot yes. Tuesday. Double shot. Actually, you get shot twice. Uh, yeah, I shoot you twice. Yeah. And don't forget our super special contest that we give you way that send the guy over with the thick neck and the hammer to kill you. <laughs> That's in the bonus round. All right, so anyhow, uh, number sixteen is over the top. Over the top no. is is um, it's so bad. It's great. Sixteen, oh great in its horribleness. I remember. I remember. I don't know how I ended up in the theater seeing that. I might. Um, Somebody I, bought you that ticket. <laughs> but, oh, but oh my god, how bad it was. Um, the father-son plot it says here has a heartwarming charm to boot. Mm, no. By the way, here's a fun fact for you. Fun fact. The theme to that song was done by Sammy Hagar, and playing bass on that song was a title track called "Over the Top." Uh, was uh, Eddie Van Halen. Is play, that right? Play bass guitar on That's that crazy. Song. Yeah, he even does a little... Uh, <laughs> totally crazy. It's yeah, the arm wrestling the... movie if you're not familiar. Yes, exactly. And by the way, you know what makes this movie stink? What? The kid is annoying. Yeah. The kid is incredibly annoying. All right, so that's number 16. Now, this movie was on over the weekend, yeah. and I watched a good portion of it, Victory. I like that yes, movie. Yes, Victory is a good movie. And he is good in it. He is good in yeah. it. And the whole thing with the uh with the 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 uh the the, the water uh you know leaking out of the shower yeah, the, tub. The, the tub and the whole yeah. thing yeah. and and uh, the game ba- yes. And, and Pele is in it. It's, Absolutely, he was a soccer player. It's a good movie. Uh, I I would sit down. <clears throat> you know what? I may have to go and watch that watch whole it thing again because I didn't get read a chance the book. to see the whole thing. Uh, maybe I'll read the book. I don't know. 
Uh, but Victory was number 15. Uh, this I got to disagree with. Number 14, Tango and Cash. I hate that movie. Oh, really? I, I love it you and hate it. it. I yeah. love it and hate it because, you know, they're, we're both superstars. Kurt Russell is his number. He, we, we're vying for number one cop. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. so we both have a lot of buzz. The only part I like about it is near the beginning is um, Stallone actually says the words, Rambo is a pussy. Yeah. Oh. And it's pretty funny. You it's, know what I like most about it? Uh, Terry Hatcher's uh, dance. She mm-hmm. looks phenomenal in yeah. that. That's when she was... Just coming on the scene. Because you know she's my sister. That's right. And keep Kurt your Russell off. wants to bang her. Mm-hmm. But I don't let him. Uh, Tango and Cash was number 14. Came out in 1989. How is... Okay, Steve, how about this? Number 13, Death Race 2000. Oh, so you know what? Wow. He, he plays Machine Gun Joe Perturbo. Yeah. And he's hilarious in it. Mm-hmm. So um, this is a Roger Corman movie. It was remade, and it was made, remade terribly, but... It's, it's a comedy? It's a comedy. Okay. It's oh. a comedy. Probably the first video game movie ever made because the game did Death precede Race the 2000 movie? did precede the movie and it was this it was an arcade game it was a flat table game where four people could stand around on either side and you had a steering wheel yeah and you had to drive these cars and run into pedestrians and they would turn into little tombstones when you would hit them <laughs> yeah there's um, and you'd have to you would get extra points for hitting kids no and, and you, well hitting a movie yeah. Se- yeah senior citizens yep. and strollers and so um david carradine plays frankenstein who is the number one driver yep and uh machine gun turbos right is uh is vying for that yeah. position but there's a scene where stallone is sitting there and they make him such an animal that he's eating mashed potatoes with his hands <laughs> yep all right uh that's number 13 these are the top Stallone movies, all of them, 47 ranked from worst to best. Uh, number 12, Steve and I love this movie, Rocky Balboa. I will put Rocky Balboa up just uh, below the original Rocky. Yep, I agree. I'm with you. 2006 when that came out. It's, love it. It's, it's a great film. It's got a real heart to it. It's, it, it's <clears throat> a perfect coda to the now, whole deal. Number 11 puts it a tick above uh, Rocky Four. Yes. I don't think so. <laughs> that was Casey saying yes. Wait. They have Rocky three above Rocky four. Uh, no, and, and Rocky two. Oh, wait a minute. It was right. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're still to come. Okay. And all uh, you all here have never seen card sharks. Now I want to explain it to you. It's a game where if you lose it, as then this, this guy's got a huge neck and a hammer, and it's then to your house to kill you. He brought this hammer. <laughs> I don't even know if he's saying the right thing. <laughs> Rocky Four. Your Russian is amazing, Steve. <laughs> it's just astonishing as far as gibberish goes. Uh, so number 10 on this list was Nighthawks. Uh, with Rucker <clears throat> Hour, right? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, so the, he's a terrorist. And yes. uh, Bill, uh, Billy D's in it as well. Okay. And I remember a shot that takes place on the Roosevelt Tram uh, in New York, and uh, they're holding people hostages. And uh, it's it's not a bad movie. It's pretty good. Okay. Is this is what's the one where he dresses a gir- as a girl at the end? This of is the- it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Stallone does. Yeah. What, what happens is that the terrorist is going to come, and he's going to kill who he believes is my girlfriend. Oh, but I'm like you couldn't tell that it was a dude, right. in a, like a house dress. I mean, it's freaking yeah, rocky. Yeah, yeah, my, my, you know, my lat spread is enormous. All right, so Nighthawks came out. She must be a swimmer. Yeah, in yeah. 1981. Right. My God, this is a huge 
speech. <laughs> Number nine is the Lords of Flatbush. Lords of Flatbush. With uh, Henry Winkler? Pre-Rocky. Uh, yeah, Henry Winkler was in that. 1974 is when they came out. It's a good movie. It's a weird movie because yeah. it uh, it's actually what got Henry Winkler the Fonzie role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're correct. The only thing I know about that movie is the joke of uh, <clears throat> what's the difference between, or what do, what do pantyhose and Brooklyn have in common? Flatbush. No. <laughs> Uh, came out at nine. Uh, no, it came in at number nine. Number eight is Rambo, the movie you were talking about, Steve. Yeah, came out in two thousand eight. I love this depiction of Rambo, That's who's great. just who's just disconnected. He it it takes the the very sort of cartoony, except for the first one, Preston, which is a little bit rooted, more rooted in reality. Right, and but on on a pure. You almost laugh at so the violence is depicted so yeah. graphically. This description says it doubles down on the visceral brutality. The yeah. hyper violence isn't for everyone, but it's executed with sophistication. Would they made of this movie if not for the success of Rocky Balboa? Mm. I don't know. I don't I know don't if they're being made concurrently or what the story this, it was. Came out to two or three years, two years after. after. Okay, but, yeah. Oh, it's uh, if you've not seen it. It might not be for everybody, but I think, and I think Stallone's acting is really, really solid in it. Yeah. It is. Is there another one coming out, though, Steve? Yeah, I believe there is. Yeah, actually, this one yeah. is domestic. Uh, all right, well, here. speaking of domestic, number yeah. seven on this list is First Blood. First Blood. Uh, which is the very first <laughs> Rambo. That's where we were introduced to the character Rambo. You do for blood. The word Rambo wasn't in the title. Some people think that it is, but it's not. It's just called First Blood 1982. And that's domestic. It takes place in like Colorado. I'm yep. just walking through town. Yeah, yeah. And they it. stopped me. They put, they did me in, and they shower me, and I don't like it. David Caruso <laughs> tried to shave you. I don't like to be shaved. Yeah. Rambo 5, Last Blood, comes out uh, this year, September yeah. 20th. Last Blood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No more blood. What, are you having your period? All the blood. <laughs> <laughs> riding the cotton pony. <laughs> you riding the cotton pony. Hmm. Uh, number six is Rocky 2. Rocky 2 is a solid movie. Yep. Uh, I have that a... Man, Rocky three ahead of high. Rocky two. Well, I think that's stupid. It comes in at number five. Rocky three. Okay. No. Uh, but you had Mr. T and everything. So yeah. That's when and that's when Apollo became his trainer and you know. Well, Rocky two. She's she goes into the hospital and she's giving you know she's in uh, she's pregnant and uh, gives birth to the kid and. Uh, she gives the uh, the okay for Rocky to go fight, and then Mick, let's go die. And then Ra- and Mick dies in that one. Yeah, right? he, 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 number three. three. Yeah, yeah. Oh wait, you're you're still on Rocky two. Yeah, we're Rocky two. So I said no. Number five is Rocky three. Oh my god, I can't so, do math. I <laughs> number six is Rocky two, right. and that's where the baby comes. The baby, play right? Movie. And then Rocky three is where Mickey dies. Uh, yeah, I, I still love from Rocky two. They yeah. will they will play it at uh, at the Wells Fargo Center Flyers game, and and the whole scene where she says, "There's one thing I want you to do." Yeah, what's that? Win, and then you get Mickey. What are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? You win is the one where you win, right? (laughs) But I like that music that comes right after that. Yeah. The Oh, yeah. And then the the film. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, you know the song. I do. Yeah. I hear when I train in my montages. So Rocky Three was was number five. Uh, number four is Demolition Man. Really? really? It's a fun movie. It is a fun movie I with Wesley it. Snipes and Sandra Bullock and, uh, um, what's his name? I forgot the guy's Rob name. Schneider. I know, no. Yeah. Is he in it? Yeah. yeah, he's in it. Is Armand or Sante in um, this one or is he in Judge Dredd? He's in Judge Dredd. This okay. is with the murder death kills. 
Yes. Uh, and the, I'm, I'm uh, trying to think of the, the male partner uh, cop as well. Damn, Benjamin Bratt. Benjamin Bratt was in it, too. Uh, yeah, it's a fun movie. It's fun. Better than Rocky 2 or no. 3? And, no. Uh, no. Better than First Blood? I don't think no. so. I think Rob Schneider's in... Um, he was in Judge Dredd. He's Judge also Dredd. in this. Uh, but Demolition Man was very, very successful. It, made it was a huge. Lot of money. Yeah. 1993. All right, number three... And we're getting into the uh, uh, the top of the top here in the more dramatic roles. Number three is Copland. He's really good in. He's Copland. great in it. He is. Uh, he's a bit overweight. He is. He is the the patsy that's put upon, but that he finally. It's almost like High Noon. He finally steps out and and makes a stand. Yeah. You know what I don't like about Copland? I, I, I like him a lot. But I don't watch the movie anymore because I don't like all those slimy cops. I don't like yeah. Ray Liotta. I don't like um, uh, who's the the older guy, uh, Harvey Keitel. Harvey Keitel in it. You know, I yeah. just I don't like those slimy characters that they're playing. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So, Michael Rapaport yeah. is in it. And uh, he's he's slimy. Yeah. So, he's but anyhow, slimy. Uh, but yeah, was, you know, you can barely <laughs> hold on to him. You're bad. But yeah, you they can't even think of in a pig. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, so, but he's in it. De Niro's in it, uh, and Stallone himself is is great in it. Yeah. Number two, and this is going to get a little controversial. Number two is Rocky on this list. What? I don't know how you can not make that number one. I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm going <laughs> to have to sit down. I'm going to have to sit down. Have a seat, please. There's a scene, I watch the movie almost any time it's on television. I at least yeah. spend some time with it when right. it's on. And there's a scene where Steve and I love this part where um, Mickey tries to come and convince Rocky that he needs to be his trainer or be his manager. And Rocky starts letting all this stuff that he's yeah. been holding back fly out. And then Mickey walks down the street, he leaves, and then Rocky, after he said his piece, goes track him down and say his okay. arm around him there's a great what i never noticed until last time i saw it steve is right when he's shaking his hand yeah, yeah. he's out there there's no dialogue you just see it from a distance right and he goes in and hugs him at that moment a uh, an elevated train goes by yeah, yeah, yeah at the very top of the um the top of the the frame and it's Brilliant yeah. timing! It's fantastic. Yeah. It's just it's just sort of accidental, probably. I, I, you know? I'm it guessing was an one of those one of those accidental moments. <laughs> yeah, that they left in there, but it's such a beautiful. All moment. right, the train can come now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's number two. What do you think? Well, uh, it's well, pretty obvious. There's yeah. only one movie that's not. Well, two know, actually, two of them. Yeah. So there's two. There's two, there's two of them. Yeah. Uh, Creed <laughs> is what they ranked as number one. No. Creed's a great movie. Creed is a solid movie, but I don't think Creed is better than Rocky, and I don't think Creed is better than Rocky Balboa. I agree. I think Creed is right there. I think it's a great movie, um, and I have not seen Creed two yet. I have right. it at home. I saw it, and I got to see mean, it. a minute. Did you enjoy it? It's good. Okay. It's not as good as Creed 1. Okay. okay. All right. But you can't have Creed without Rocky. Right. You know, the, the, the you movie. You can't have hamburgers without French fries. Thank you. Yeah. You can't have Rocky 4 without Rocky 1, 2, and 3. You can't have the disease without the cure. Right. Yeah. So. Well, you can. But yeah. You can't have the cure without the disease. I'm Robert Smith, and you're the cure. <laughs> Could you see uh, him <laughs> in the in the, the story of the band? music's going to take off. The you only give it a chance. You give me crap for wearing eyeliner in my hair. You say it looks weird. I'm telling you, this is beginning of something big. Oh my God. Smeared lipstick. <laughs> I don't know. Look at this. Look. It's Friday is the day I'm in love. Oh, Friday. That's the day for love. <laughs> Come on. 
<laughs> take it again. I can't take it. Thursday, I'm in love. Yeah. What the hell does that mean? Friday. <laughs> That's when people traditionally fall in love. <laughs> Sylvester Stallone is Robert Smith from The Cure. It's uh, what you call a new wave. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Somebody please Photoshop a picture of that. <laughs> so they have Creed as number one. This is from Men's Health Magazine. I'm not, uh, I'm not buying that, but no. I, don't, I don't hate... I think they did a pretty good job at this list. Uh, not uh, bad. Yeah, there's, not so some of the, the earlier placements are weird. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, when you got down to the thick of it, uh, mm-hmm. pretty good. And, yeah. a, and a nice memory because yeah. he, he's dismissed quite often. And uh, there's some great, great stuff. If you were to pit Schwarzenegger movies versus... Uh, Stallone movies. Stallone has better movies, I, yeah. I think. But I, isn't that crazy? Because I action movie wise, I mean, if you were to take, uh, all right. So what's what's the top action movie for for Stallone? Uh, is it Demolition Man? Uh, it's better yeah. be Rambo. It's Demolition Man. Yeah, I mean, there's I would rank so many Schwarzenegger action movies above Listen, Demolition. You Man. have great Schwarzenegger stuff. There's mm-hmm. no two ways about it. I, I love. They're 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 popcorn pop culture movies. I mean, Predator is one of my favorites, Oof. and Schwarzenegger has y- yes, exactly. Yeah. And Schwarzenegger, I mean, he's he's got he does have chops. There's a, you can see him. He there's a movie where his daughter is slowly succumbing to a zombie like disease. It was uh-huh. an in, indie film, and he's actually can act. Yeah. He's really pretty good. But on the whole, Stallone's probably a better actor than Schwarzenegger. I, I think so. Also, you got to remember Stallone's writing them and directing them in a lot of cases. And that's, you know, it's funny because Preston, I was talking to you about this. I follow Stallone on Instagram and he and, and uh, Schwarzenegger were, were adversaries. They really were for quite a while. And now they're buddies and you see him out all the time. Yeah. Uh, you know, and to see, there's a video of it. This is uh, the, 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 the Rocky Collection is out on Blu-ray. I, I would go get it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> he's doing little commercials for Stallone. Yeah, but it's a nice, nice walk down memory lane. So I thought that was a fun yeah, list yeah. to, to roll out. Stream WMMR anywhere you have an internet connection. Check out the mobile app or go to WMMR.com. You'll figure it out from there. Back with more of the Preston and Steve Show podcast. Now, WMMR presents Preston and Steve's Bizarre Final. And it's brought to you by God Shawls with 80% less fat, 100% wood-smoked flavor for when family gathers because you love them and they love bacon. All right, we'll begin with this. On Friday, Sheriff's Office arrested resident Kyle McGill Walker after he allegedly pulled a gun on a victim at a McDonald's. The victim told the officer she was approached by Walker. He asked her if she would try a hit of his vape pen. After the victim refused, Walker says, are you serious, bro? (laughs) And then Walker (laughs) lifted up his shirt and showed the victim a gun. Are you serious, bro? Walker pulled the gun gun out of his pants and began asking, what's up now? (laughs) What's up now? Bitch won't try my vape pen. The victim told police that she was in fear for her life. And, and uh, a short time later, Walker was found by police behind the Lewis Point Plaza near where the incident happened, and police transported him back to the McDonald's where the uh, victim and surveillance confirmed the crime. Is that a common thing? Is that considered an affront if you won't suck on some guy's vape pen? To this guy, it is. 
Uh, Walker has been charged with aggravated assault with a deadly weapon without intent to kill. So. I like how he calls her bro. Bro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Days after his mother's death, this is messed up. Days after his mother's death, a man in St. Louis made a gruesome discovery when he opened a wrapped box that he says had been in the freezer since he was a kid. Adam Smith had been living in his family's St. Louis apartment while taking care of his mother, who recently died of cancer. Now, Smith says his mother kept a wrapped box inside the freezer for decades, and she had always told him to stay away from it as a kid. Uh, After she died, he decided to open the box late Saturday night. Inside, he discovered a dead, frozen baby. Which he says left him shocked. He said there was a pink baby blanket, and when I reached down and touched it, I could feel a foot... I could see the baby's head with hair. Uh, Police responded to the building. They called the death suspicious and are now investigating. Smith told officers that as strange as it sounds, he never looked inside the wrapped box. He assumed it was frozen wedding cake. Just one of those things that people kept in there and said, look, don't touch that. His mother had a dead baby for a wedding cake? No. Oh. Smith says that he's now distraught thinking about the possibility that the baby may have been his sister and what his mother may have done. Of course. He said, I have to wait for the autopsy to see if that baby ever took a breath, and I cannot help uh, I cannot help it to think that she might have done something to it. I just can't help it. Smith says he remembers his mom once speaking about losing a child at birth. A relative recently told him that his mother gave birth to twins but lost one at birth and gave the other up for adoption. And now that his mother has passed away, Smith wonders if he'll ever know the truth. So I'll try to get a follow-up on this well, after a coroner's report. There's one simple out to this. They can do some sort of DNA test and find out if there is a, a direct genetic connection t- for him to this child. Yeah, see if he's related, right. but and, he wants to know how it died. Yeah, I mean, it may have been stillborn. I don't know. There's you know? a wealth of stories that will never be answered. Yeah. Uh, A man accused of severely beating his friend and trashing his own home over the weekend claimed that he was just trying to chase his kitten. (laughs) Uh, Deputies say it happened. Those little rascals that made the way way they make you trash your friend's house. Early Sunday morning at home in uh, Lando Lakes, Lakes, Florida, the victim told deputies that he was hanging out at the home of his lifelong friend, 50-year-old Douglas Smith. And at some point, the victim said Smith randomly became enraged. Smith started smashing objects in his own house, including his own prized guitar. He also knocked the television off the wall. And at some point, deputies say Smith got on top of the victim and started hitting him. The victim told deputies he was being hit so hard and fast that he didn't know if a weapon was involved or if it was just Smith's hands. He was savagely beating him. After speaking with the victim, deputies responded to Smith's home and found him lying in a pile of broken furniture. When they got inside, deputies say that there was a television on the floor, a broken table, and lots of things knocked over and thrown around. There was money on the ground and a pool of blood just in front of the door. When asked about what happened, deputies say Smith claimed that he was chasing his kitten around and denied anything happened with his friend. I was chasing my kitten. Yeah. Smith said that he was mowing his lawn and then he met up with the victim and started drinking with him. He told deputies he didn't remember anything other than chasing his kitten and had no idea how his house got trashed. He also couldn't say where the pool of blood or his own wounds came from. Wow. Smith was detained and placed in a patrol car. And at some point, deputies say he started screaming and yelling. Deputies say he then gave various reasons how the victim is less of a man than he is. And All because of a kitten? And stated how important his job is. I think I think there's some sort of narcotic involved here. That's he, my guess. He also talked more about chasing his kitten near the seawall. <laughs> okay. Smith was What seawall? <laughs> what the hell? Near the windmill where the badgers live. 
What are you talking about? You're Smith. more of a man than the Badgers. Smith was arrested and charged with aggravated battery and serious injury. The arrest report says the victim's injuries will leave permanent... Moose face! Permanent damage huh? and scarring and may require surgery. Uh... The art teacher at a school in Columbus, Ohio, made it clear that her classroom was a banana-free zone. She posted signs outside of her classroom that she was severely allergic to bananas and asked any students who may have eaten one to wash their hands. Is that an actual thing, a banana allergy? Yeah, don't you, we had an intern who was allergic to um, all fruit. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Listen to this. This nearly killed this teacher. Wow. Uh, last November, the teacher almost lost her life when three students smeared banana on her door <gasps> and then started throwing them at her. The oh. teacher went into anaphylactic shock in less than 15 minutes. Dude, food allergies are real. And yeah. they, and, and as, as snowflakey, to quote our one caller earlier, as that may seem to some people, it's poison to some people, can kill them. Uh, the teacher went into anaphylactic shock. She starts to change colors to school security employee, can be heard saying on police body camera video. As officers arrived at the school, they gave her an EpiPen, and it wasn't working, so they gave her a second one. Her throat was starting to close up. Her colleagues called 911, and she was rushed into the hospital where she uh, did recover. Uh, the employee said all of the kids that she uh, all the kids know she's deathly allergic to bananas. If it touches her, she will go into anaphylactic shock. Wow. Uh, they're sitting out here and they're all eating their lunch. So one of them takes a banana and sits it on the door. Officers found a piece of banana under a table after it had hit the teacher's arm and leg. Thirteen-year-old girl and twelve-year-old girl were sentenced to probation for the attack. So it almost killed her. Mm. Pretty messed up. And then finally, federal officials say that they found a missile launcher in a man's luggage at the airport in Baltimore. <laughs> okay. What? How big a missile launcher can you pack in your luggage? A good question. The transportation. <laughs> Does it have to be less than three ounces? Maybe if it's like, you know, things you carry skis in or golf clubs, maybe you can fit one in there. <laughs> Do you think in CVS they have a small basket of travel missile launchers? The Transportation Security Administration said in a statement that the military-grade weapon was uh, locked in the man's checked luggage at Baltimore Washington International Airport. I'd like to check my missile launcher. <laughs> TSA officers called airport police who found the man and detained him for questioning. The unidentified traveler said that he he was in the military and coming home from Kuwait, and he said that he wanted to keep the weapon as a souvenir. <laughs> the it is kind of cool to have a missile launcher. It would be, wouldn't can't, it? Can't say I wouldn't want to bring one home myself. The TSA said the missile launcher was not a live device, but it was handed over to the state fire marshal for disposal. See that signature there? That's Randy Jackson. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he was ultimately allowed to catch his flight home, by the way, and there you go. That's I don't think right. I've ever seen a missile launcher. Ever. I have. Like in real life? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Was, was it badass? That. What's that? Was it badass? It, it actually doesn't. It looks fairly innocuous. Really? It's like a tube, right? Yeah, it's just a tube. Oh, all yeah. right. All right. without the missile in it, it just looks like a, <laughs> okay. a tube. MMR's Day Off on the Slopes at Jack Frost Mountain. Friday, January 10th. Celebrate winter with the best lift ticket deal out there, along with a Pierre Robert live broadcast and a legendary happy hour with Jackson, live from E2000 Lounge. Listen up. There's still time to save money on your lift tickets. Ski the day with us for $20 through our pre-sale, available while supplies last, or until noon on January 8th. WMMR.com has all the details. 
MMR's Day Off on the Slopes. Sip, ski, and be merry. Friday, January 10th at Jack Frost Mountain from JFBB, where the snow comes first. And 93.3 WMMR. Everything that rocks. The trash business is a gold mine. 93.3 WMMR with Preston and Steve's Hollywood Trash. It's brought to you by New Jersey Transit Police Department, reminding you that we all need to work together to keep our transit system safe. Report suspicious activity to 188-TIPS-NJT or text your report to NJTPD. What's going on, Steve? Well, Kylie Jenner catching a little blowback for showing off her decadent 20-foot Christmas tree in an Instagram post on Monday. Many commenters criticized her for adorning tree with dead hobos. Oh, jeez. Oh! <laughs> Kanye West apologizing after being caught take, uh, talking in a theater on his phone while attending a performance of The Share Show. Kanye explains he had just dialed 1-900-NORTH Pole and was waiting to talk to Santa. <laughs> oh, my God. And finally, Pol- <laughs> Paulina Gretzky saying that her super hot Instagram pictures don't phase her father, NHL legend Wayne Gretzky. Paulina says her dad has been cool with it ever since he replaced his Visine with battery acid. <laughs> And that's your Hollywood track. Their next uh, group in the studio is here to... Polite uh, British applause. Oh, very polite, yes. Yes. Are here to promote a polite British movie from a polite British uh, show. Now, actually, very, very incredibly popular program. Uh, We need some uh, music to uh, to give us a little bit of... Does that fit? There you go. You think that fits properly? PBS. All right, thank you. Uh, They are here to promote the Downton Abbey film, which opens on Friday, and we have a whole group of people here this morning. Please welcome... (laughs) Amelda Staunton, Jim Carter, Michael Engler, and Kevin Doyle. Yes. To our program this morning. So great to have all of you here today. Thanks for being here. We appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Uh, So how long has the the film been in the works? Is this was an idea before the... uh, uh, before the series ended? I think it was uh, talked about before the series ended, uh, which was three <laughs> years ago, but then the pressure grew, thanks to you, the media, because every interview we ever did always ended up uh, uh, off the record, is there going to be a movie? <laughs> and then the fans, everybody we met in the street, will there be a film, will there be a film? And three years later, there is. The main question I need to know, need to know and since you want to get as many moviegoers as you can to go see this, I did not watch the series. That doesn't mean that I'm not going to watch the series. I shall, but... Um, can I see the movie? Yes. And okay, that's you don't, that. you don't need to have seen the the, the show. Okay, all right. That's why I need to know because these two are fanatics about uh, downtown. Like, Love you guys. When, yeah. when you started talking, I was like, "Oh, it's Carson." <laughs> <laughs> Carson is a butler. Should <laughs> <laughs> not watch the television series. So I can I I <clears throat> went in and out of the the series. I've loved stuff like this. I go back to uh, upstairs, downstairs, and shows uh, anything that has the the classes together and this interesting dynamic that's existed, and we're perpetually drawn to this scenario. And uh, what I wanted to know is, um, so you, you leave the roles for a little bit. Now, uh, Imelda, uh, you're, you were not part of the series. You're just joining the movie right now. But um, uh, but was it hard to pick right up, or was it just like copping on a bike? It was easy. Yeah, easy? Yeah? yeah. yeah. E- easy to get I mean, right we, back we, in? We played it for six years. Yeah. So it was like, uh, you know, yeah. 
I always wonder as an actor, though, if you go off... The waistcoat's on now. I was back being a butler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. As soon as I put the dress back on. (laughs) So, does the movie um, start off where the TV show ended? It picks up about 18 months after the uh, finale of the series. Okay. This is the voice of Michael Engler, our director. He's American, but we like him. (laughs) (laughs) One thing that that Kathy and I sort of agreed on when we first started watching it was that, um, first of all, it's great escapism, and and it's just, it's a terrific uh, show with all sorts of drama that, but People that may not have been into it, uh, we always would just say to them, you know, they're not afraid to kill off characters on Downton Abbey. They, it, and there was no shortage of, you, this guy may die, and you never quite knew what was going to happen. And so um, it wasn't just uh, people were protected because they were on this um, British highfalutin series. You know, they, they, they would just kill somebody off, uh, you know, to add to the plot lines. And, and so I, I'm, I can't wait to see what the twists and turns in the movie are. Uh, I wanted to ask uh, Imelda, because you are a new character uh, to this storyline, can you tell us about uh, who you're playing and, well, and how she fits in? I'd have to kill you, obviously. <laughs> yeah. um, everything about my character. But uh, but what is great is that it's got a very powerful storyline, which does affect uh, the family. Um, and I have my scenes with Dame Penelope Wilton and Dame Maggie Smith, so it doesn't get better than that. Well, you yourself but- are a dame, correct? Oh, oh, I wish. You can't. You, you just cast uh, that off. No, I thought you were. Oh, all no, right. I'm far too young. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she is. She is a commander of the British Empire. There you go. All yes, right. I yes, I am. All right. Um, uh, but, uh, so it was. What was great? A, it was a shock. You know, to be asked to do it, but then to have a really good, strong female storyline was really nice to play. So I wasn't just, you know, dressed up in a nice costume having a cup of tea. So it was very good to play those scenes. And this is uh, the events are based on uh, something that happened in real life. Is that correct, Michael? That's right. The uh, royal family uh, that George V and Queen Mary did do a tour of Yorkshire. It was actually much earlier than the setting of this, but they would tour around because, you know, in those days there was no social media, television, anything. And it, 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 people might have seen photographs, you know, memorial kind of things done of them, but nobody would have ever seen them live. So the idea that this is an extremely exciting, prestigious visit is um, not over-exaggerated uh, in any way. Now, Michael, you've done a lot of um, ensemble work with different casts and, and uh, uh, The West Wing and other other shows like that you directed. Uh, there's a certain anything like this where the ensemble is as top notch as this ensemble is has to be really cool, but it also it places a big onus on you to deliver to the hardcore fans and to also do something that's going to invite new people in. How did you approach the movie uh, the movie version as opposed to the TV version of the show? Well, we did want it to be something that would stand alone that you could come in right. as a fan or as a you know new viewer, and the whole story would make sense from beginning you know, to end and bring in all the characters who the fans loved and were missing and wanted to see again. So we tried not to change the DNA and throw the baby out with the bathwater, but we wanted it to feel that we were also bringing some new life and new opportunities to it and giving it more cinematic scale. And you could spend more time, I would assume, than yes. you would on a TV schedule, right? Absolutely. Right. And there were so many characters that I loved. So a lot of the main characters are going to be in the movie? Pretty much all the main characters yeah. from the That's series great. are in there, yeah. Well, Which is quite a skill right. to, you know, have uh, satisfied 20 actors <laughs> over a two-hour movie. Right. It's fine if you've got eight hours of, uh, you know, in a season, but to, to do in two hours is... Is a, is, a, is a hell of a skill. You know what it always occurs, though? There's always someone. I mean, it's the natural, it's the nature of the beast. You have something that becomes, uh, look at the way Game of Thrones with all the, the rabid fan base. 
you're always going to upset people. So you, I assume the idea is to just put your head down and soldier on, correct? It is, and there are worse, uh, you know, pressures to have than yeah. trying to satisfy people who love what you do. Yeah, I mean, no. there are worse problems. <laughs> I wanted to ask Imelda, did you meet Maggie Smith on uh, Harry Potter, on the set of Harry um... Of course I did. Okay, yes. I didn't know if you'd met her before. Well, no, we'd, we'd actually worked together before Harry Potter, so, uh, and, so, and I'd worked with Maggie a couple of times, I'd worked with Penelope on stage, so, um, you know, it, it, it wasn't intimidating, because we all know each other, and, you know, they're great heroines of mine anyway, but but at the same time, you know, you have to get go to work together. Yes. And, uh, you, know, you can't let that get in the way. I, um, I saw an interview with you, Emel, actually, during research, and it was leading up the the uh, the the show you're on. They asked you if you would be part of a Downton Abbey movie, and you said, "Oh, I don't think so. I don't think that's going to happen." <laughs> and here you are. Were you lying when they gave that answer? Well, <laughs> not, no, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> okay. Because it was it was a huge surprise. Oh, was it? Oh, and yeah. to okay. Me as well, I'll tell you. Yeah. I mean, we, and I've been married for 35 years. And yeah. If your research had shown that, so when she came <laughs> into the kitchen and said, "I've been offered a part in the film," I said, oh, yeah. What is it? Downton Abbey. What? Hello, <laughs> that's my territory. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I thought, I really thought, and no insult to you, my darling, um, <laughs> is that you would be playing an undercook. So when you, I found out you were playing a major aristocrat, I was furious. <laughs> Here you are laboring, <laughs> and she's above you. But you guys didn't work too much together on, on the film. You didn't have scenes together? No, we didn't. I mean, we, we got a bit overexcited. We travelled to work three days together, a bit overexcited in the car. Um, and, uh, and then, but, but that's private love. <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, but but uh, no, he was one end of the dining room, I was the other, uh, or across a field, but no, we didn't have any scenes. The marriage survived. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's so cool about a, um, uh, a show like this because it's, it's penetrated into uh, so much of pop culture that you hear... Downton Abbey mentioned in other movies, in other TV shows. All the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's On Sesame be... Street, it showed up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, oh, it did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was great. They did a whole... We've made it. <laughs> at, at what point did you realize the uh, the weight at which this show carried with uh, the viewing public? I think an invitation to the White House kind of sealed it. Wow. wow. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. Michelle was a big, big fan. Wow. It, it's, it's, we'd been to a reception at the British Ambassador's residence in Washington, which was fancy enough for some of us. But then at 10 o'clock at night, there were a fleet of limousines that took us to the White House. Uh, this is the winter of 2012, I think. Wow. And we had a private tour of the White House after hours conducted by the Obama's uh, housekeeper. Uh, they, they'd wisely gone to bed. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it was, we thought, this is surreal. Wow. Very surreal it, and a huge honor. Let me ask each of you, uh, were you to exist in this time, in this, in this environment, do you think you would be, would you, would, would you think you would be, uh, the money elite, or would you be... Oh. The, uh, the the uh, the serving staff. Uh, the, the three of us, the three actors here, are solidly downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't even get into the big house. I'd be a, I'd be a gardener. I, I, I would. I wouldn't be allowed anywhere near the estate. <laughs> <laughs> we just found out this morning that the actual building, the estate, uh, is going to be opening up for a night as essentially a bed and breakfast. Yeah. Have you guys made made aware of this? It's one hundred and eighty seven dollars a night. That's it. Well, I, I don't think you get the whole cast. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> but you're you're still on the premises. I, yeah, I, yeah. That's, that's pretty cool. That's uh, that's quite that's a savings. Yeah. Yes. Now, Michael, we can't let this interview go by without mentioning that you do have some acting credits yourself. Steve had said to me as I came in this morning. He goes, "Do you know who Michael Engler?" 
played. What's that? Uh, oh, it was Jim. Yeah. Oh, my God, it was yeah, you. I have a few acting credits. Yes, yeah. you yeah. do. <laughs> I, then I apologize. No, I was no, saying yeah. the wrong thing. It was Jim, and now it makes sense. Uh, one of our favorite pop culture rent mentions. We reference it time. all the time. Top secret, he was deja vu. <gasps> oh. Yes. <laughs> Have we not met somewhere before? I don't. You have no idea how that has permeated our 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 uh, our. References throughout the show. It's it, over thirty years ago, and yeah. I, I love it when people come up and say to me, "Are you déjà vu?" <laughs> I love, it's the one thing that makes them most proud. Uh, the uh, underwater uh, fight scene deserves a lifetime achievement award. <laughs> and and I got to kiss Val Kilmer on screen. <laughs> it was only a farewell kiss on the on, uh-huh. on the cheek, but you know that's it's not like everybody's first, stuff. It was my first screen kiss. Were <laughs> <laughs> you jealous, Imelda? Tiny. <laughs> Now, Jim Abrahams and the Zucker brothers were the directors, and they're fantastic. And they were such good fun to to, to work with. It was it was great. I love wow. them. Well, uh, here you have something that's decidedly different, but still a, a, an ensemble piece. And and so uh, the reviews have been great. And a lot of the reviewers are saying exactly what you would want them to say. Is if you're a fan of the series, you're going to get exactly what you want. Though it is a wonderful. It, 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 for fans of movies, I would assume like you know, remains of the day or any of the things like that, which I am a huge fan of. All that stuff, um, it, it's going to give you what you want. And it, it, great movies take you away for a while, and that's what they're saying about this. So that's got to be very rewarding. Very much so. Yeah. Very Especially much. now, for, for for people to be taken away now and just to sort of bathe in this warm glow of, you know, sort of romance, nostalgia, uh, uh, drama, relationships. I, I think it gives them everything they want, as you said. And yeah. it keeps it keeps sort of going back to this. It's funny because we have we've had our shows that have dealt with this, uh, you know, with whether it be Dallas or, or Dynasty or, mm-hmm. or whether Falcon Crest that's so on and so forth. Yeah. But nothing quite catches like. Uh, and I wonder if if in 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 England. If if you guys uh, if it's the same sort of adoration for this because we focus in on it and you do as well if it's the same if how, how does it read to you it's more fervent over more here. fervent you yeah. think yes yeah, yeah? Over here, yeah. because it, this again there's a sh- it's sort of like the little show that could and uh, but you know you, you talk about it on a theatrical level the show when I was watching it always looked very theatrical um, so I, I assume you know were there. Is it that much more that you can do? Because it was looking pretty good as it was. Well, that's the thing, and and we always knew that, and it had always been referred to as something that was so cinematic, even as a television show. So, like I said, we didn't want to change that. We just wanted to grow it in some ways. But sometimes, you know, just the simple fact of taking, you know, two people sitting in a room talking and seeing the room at full scale yeah. automatically changes your perception of it. You feel more like you're inside it. You see much more detail and depth. And uh, so aside from the big, grand uh, spectacle elements right. of the film that are more cinematic, I think just scaling it up in that way surprised us. Were you cautious a little bit so it doesn't, uh, <laughs> as far as that, from a cinematic point of view, uh, so it doesn't... Um contrast too much against the television show? Yeah, I think we were always trying to balance it so it felt like itself, but it felt like a 
a bigger version of itself. Okay. Yeah. Without giving any spoilers away, we, we, we got to see it at the, the premiere in, in, in New York a couple of nights ago. We, we never get to see the TV series with anybody else. You obviously you sit and you watch it in your own sitting room at home. So to see it with an audience was astonishing. Yeah. And I'm not. This is not a spoiler, but there's a moment when we see the house revealed and the theme music kicks in, and there was this spontaneous round of applause. Oh, that's fantastic. Thought, uh, and that's the moment, and that's only minutes into into the film, you think, yeah. ah, this is working here. This is brilliant. Great, great. It's at home on the big screen. Yeah. That's really cool. I, uh, there's there's one theme that seemed to be kind of uh, timeless on the TV show, and I'm, I'm curious as to if it shows up in the movies, but there's uh, generational gaps, and that seems to me like uh, it's really applicable to today, just as it was then, um, that the younger generation wants to go run off and play in London or, or you know, do something, whereas the older generation is a little more conservative and stayed. Would you would you say that's accurate, Michael? I would say that. But it's also about the kind of, you know, what makes sense in perpetuating this tradition, this house, uh, what makes it worth it, because it's a huge amount of work and effort and money and labor and everything. And, and at what point it needs to change and in which ways. And that's sort of the... The handing off of the baton to to Mary, you know, in the in, as the next generation sort of caretaker of it. I can't imagine how much it would cost to run a place like that at any era. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, apparently one hundred eighty six dollars a night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you get it wherever you yeah. can. It seems a lot to us in England. <laughs> uh, Melda, with your work in the Harry Potter series, um, have you been to uh, conventions, comic cons, and so forth? Because they're just they're rabid for uh, anything along those lines, and especially Especially the Harry Potter series. No. No. You're not there as a fan yourself wandering around with helmets on and things? I, I could make a fortune. <laughs> you could. Well, it's, it's funny because at, at King's Cross Station in London, oh my God. Uh, they, they've got a you know, platform nine platform and three quarters. Nine and three quarters. Wow. I, I go there. I think, what am I doing? I could get here at eight in the morning. I could put on a pink cardigan <laughs> and I could make a fortune. Yes, you could. <laughs> I never noticed. And was it you that told me that her, your... Uh, costume got darker and darker as your character became yes. more and more. I never yeah. even noticed in, that. Well, in Order of the Phoenix. Well, that's the... a woman thing, do you see? <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, I, listen, I um, love you in that movie. Even though your character is evil, I just, I, you know. I, like, he has a crush on you. I have a crush on you, and I know you're there with your husband, and uh, I'm he's, married as well. But... He's history. <laughs> Uh, no, uh, uh, what's what's wonderful is playing a character that is so seemingly, you know, sweet and nice, mm-hmm. and just with a with a steel heart. Yeah, um, and, and so naturally they went after Ramel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's just typecasting. Now, but but I mean, you're also in the uh, the new Maleficent movie, uh, when we were fans of. Are you? I assume this. And yes, the, and, yes, and yes, tiny, of tiny, tiny pixie. Yeah. Oh yes, yeah. and and uh, so we loved you in the first one as well. But yeah, it, that has to be weird, and I assume on that level of special effect because you're yes, you know I, yeah you're uh, how is that because you're 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 a trained actress you have all these you know uh, standard acting chops and you're there i assume doing a lot of special effects or green screens and things like that is that a little yes oh look but this, that's what the gig is you know it is and yeah also different mediums and different types of work are fascinating you have to sort of you have to think on your feet and you have to you work in a different way and that's always Quite invigorating. Sure, you're intrigued by the oh, the yeah. process alone is enough. Absolutely, it's cool because I would I would geek out were I to see it. I you know I, I would not be able to keep it together. But you but have to remember, of course, you know you're still doing your little your, yeah. your little story. But yes, you're surrounded, you know, whatever with nine cameras and you're you've got a head thing on with lots of cameras on it. You just have to focus on one spot, but but you still have to remember what you're talking. Is about. it like a, acting in a black box? 
Um, not it's it's no. not because you have to. It's like actually, it's interesting here being in radio and in in England. You know, we, I did a lot of radio, and you're doing a scene, and the person you're talking to is the microphone. Yeah, actually, that's who you really have to. As you guys, you know, you've got to. You're talking to that one person at home listening to you. Correct, and that's what you have to have in your mind. No, that's the way to approach it. I, I want to ask you because of the success of the of the series. Where's the uh, Where's the weirdest place you've been recognized by a fan of uh, Downton Abbey? All of you can me, take. Yeah, uh, I was doing a, a cycle ride in Cambodia in the, <laughs> the temples of Angkor Wat uh, <laughs> and uh, dressed uh, in, all in lycra, skin tight. I don't want you to dwell on that. <laughs> Purple with perspiration, and a, and a busload of Chinese tourists decanted in front of me, and one of them went, <gasps> "Mr. Carson, <laughs> this is beyond." <laughs> I was uh, in a vineyard in Bordeaux, and uh, a couple of Americans came up to me and said, Oh, my God, <laughs> this is like Brad Pitt. <laughs> <laughs> I, took, I took that as a compliment. <laughs> and Brad Pitt has a vineyard, so there you go. Yeah. Yeah. It works oh, my out. goodness. Wow. Well, you guys have, uh, you have traveled the world, had some exotic uh, locations, and people recognize you, and it's going to get even more so with the film opening up on Friday. So uh, I'm on board. I'm definitely, I definitely want to see it. So uh, it's wonderful to meet you all. Continued success. And I'm sure this isn't the last we've probably no, heard of. No, no, thank, 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 thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Good luck with everything. Thank you, guys. Yeah, let's hear it for everyone. Michael and Kevin and Jim and Imelda, of course. The Preston and Steve Show Podcast. 93.3 WMMR. Everything that rocks.